you're tuned into Decay Mag Podcast Online source for horror, thriller and sci-fi entertainment news Welcome ladies and gentlemen to DK Mag Podcast Season 6 Episode 10 I am your host Ken Artus, Founder for DK mag you can find us on the web on dkmag.com that is d-e-c-a-y-m-a-g.com and of course we are on google music we are on itunes spotify stitcher and tune in we are on facebook instagram pinterest twitter well this is season six episode 10 and i have much to cover it is the holiday season right now while everyone is gearing up to have some penil and arroz con gandules or some dried up turkey or very oversaturated salty ham i'm working on this podcast before i get into the festivities so in this podcast we'll be presenting exclusive interviews with filmmaker jed bryan and we'll be discussing his full feature found footage film titled unlisted owner we conclude our exclusive interview segment with actress belle delia she stars in the psychological thriller the award-winning psychological thriller titled scratch continued coverage on the film scratch i had the pleasure to speak with screenwriter for the film helen sang so don't miss those exclusive interviews very informative if you want to learn and know the intricacies the business the drive of filmmakers and writers in horror films do check out these exclusive interviews and i must note starting in 2018 we'll be reformatting our podcast so we will be separating our exclusive interviews and it would be titled dk mag sessions and the sessions are exclusive interviews with filmmakers composers directors in the field that will be a separate component starting in 2018 of course we would be continuing our podcast dk mag podcast will continue its regular schedule structure and programming this is our dedication in providing more content for you the audiences so you don't have to wait every week for an exclusive interview the interviews will be a standalone component which i believe will be more interesting because you could now tune in to a particular interview that you want to uh, get to know the person behind the film or the music but back to this podcast season six episode 10 i'm going to be covering some information on the hellraiser judgment tremors six uh some information on the halloween reboot scheduled to release next year i also will be following up with insights on video games science fiction horror video games 
And of course, we'll be concluding our podcast with our trademark trailer first impressions. So without further ado, here is DK Mag Podcast Season 6, Episode 10. Movies. Hellraiser Judgment gets release date. After the controversy and criticism from a certain percentage in the horror community, it seems as though the next installment of Hellraiser will finally see the light of day to refresh memories and or to inform those in the audience that are unaware. Here's some backstory on Hellraiser Judgment. Gary J. Tunnicliffe directed and wrote Hellraiser Judgment. Tunnicliffe also wrote Hellraiser Revelations, which for most fans, including myself, found Revelations to be a disaster. Second, this is another issue with the film Hellraiser Judgment. And it centers on actor Doug Bradley. Bradley portrayed Pinhead. In fact, the English-born actor embodies the demonic, leather-clad, sadomastic character. Bradley and Tunicliffe did not see eye to eye. And here's an excerpt from Bradley's Facebook page detailing the situation and why he wasn't a part of Hellraiser Judgment. Quote, Gary said he would send me a copy of the script when he had completed a second draft, but before I could be allowed to set eyes on the precious document, I was required to sign a gagging order. This was a three-page document preventing me from talking about the script in restrooms, on elevators, in restaurants, or in cellular telephone conversations which may be overheard. There was also dark reference to people talking out of turn at conventions. I read this thing in disbelief and informed Gary I would not be signing it. And that's it. Clearly, I am deemed too much of a security risk to be allowed to read a Hellraiser script. People are starving to death in Syria and they're worried about me talking about a Hellraiser movie. Get a fucking grip. Can you say sense of proportion? Unquote. So, the synopsis for Hellraiser Judgment reads as follows. Detective Sean and David Carter are on the case to find a gruesome serial killer terrorizing the city. Joining forces with Detective Christine Irgerton, they dig deeper into a spiraling maze of horror that may not be of this world. So here's the latest news for Hellraiser Judgment. Amazon has a listing of the film with a release date set for February 13, 2018. 
The medium would be a Blu-ray release, and pre-orders are available for this Hellbound entrant to the Hellraiser franchise. Now, I think I joined the consensus here in saying that I am not looking forward to this installment for Hellraiser Judgment. It also needs to be clear that Clive Barker has no connection with this film whatsoever. I think Clive Barker which would much rather go his own direction and reinvigorate, jumpstart the genre and provide his own vision of this very terrifying and innovative character. Characters. The Hellraiser franchise has declined dramatically over the years with each installment. The first two movies in the series, in my opinion, were the best, with the original being the prime source of terror. The sequel, not so much. But this goes to show you that horror franchises, when it's taken over by another film director or re-envisioned in some way it starts losing its appeal and that's not this is not the first case we've seen it countless many times before another example that comes to mind is the Texas Chainsaw Massacre series well if you want to check out the latest installment to the franchise the Hellraiser franchise uh, you're going to have to wait to the 13th of February on Blu-ray Disc. Tremors 6 gets an official title. Tremors is a long-standing horror franchise. These slate of creature feature films have extended 28 years, beginning with the 1990 release directed by Ron Underwood, based on the writing team of S.S. Wilson, Brent Maddock and of course Ron Underwood was part of the writing team. The first Tremors installment featured actor Kevin Bacon in the lead, but it was Michael Gross that remained as a staple protagonist in the franchise. The latest installment to the Tremors franchise would be labeled as a PG-13 flick and it would be subtitled a cold day in hell. Fans of the Tremors franchise would have to wait till May 18th. Excuse me. We'll have to wait till May 2018 for the release to surface on both Blu-ray and DVD. Tremors: A Cold Day in Hell is directed by Don Michael Paul and is based on a script written by John Welpy. And the synopsis reads as follows. The sequel finds Bert Gummer and his son Travis at a remote research station where they must go up against graboids that have been converted into living weapons. Sci-Fi has a Tremor series in the works and it would feature the return of Kevin Bacon, ironically Michael Gross, who he has seen in most of the feature films, will not be in this extension of the franchise. 
Michael Gross, in a Facebook posting, wrote the following informational tidbit. Quote, For Tremors fans who have been asking, will Kevin Bacon return to the films? Or is your Burt Gummer character going to be in Kevin's series? I think we can say with a good deal of certainty that the answer to both questions is no. The series is currently shooting in and around Albuquerque, New Mexico, and I have no other details." Unquote. So there you have it. We have a title for Tremor 6, which is titled, subtitled, A Cold Day in Hell. Sci-Fi is creating the series starring Kevin Bacon, and this series would not feature Michael Gross. Also, the sixth installment is PG-13, which in my opinion, it pretty much the whole series is a PG-13 collective because it, these films are more centered as a creature feature comedy than a creature feature horror film. And it does fall in line with sci-fi's approach to these thematic, these themes. Uh, you could just go into the the roster of films that sci-fi has released and the majority of them have that campy feel of creature features. Nevertheless, this is a series and the production value would be much more enhanced than a full feature film on sci-fi or a sci-fi devoted feature film and if you gotta if you want evidence just check out the slate of films sci-fi has released in comparison to the original programming the original programming has dedicated they dedicate more attention to the graphics it should be the other way around though well so I'm looking forward to trim. I have not seen, aside from the original film and released in 1990 with Kevin Bacon, I have not seen the rest of the entrance in this franchise. I should. I, I believe one of them also starred comedian Jamie Kennedy. That seemed kind of off to me when I first noticed it. But yeah, I'll give this one a watch and if it's on sci-fi, there are very few shows on sci-fi I have not seen. So yeah, I will be giving this a watch. And Kevin, hey, everything is better with some bacon. So Kevin Bacon is going to be well received in this series. Halloween reboot features original shape. The Halloween reboot is scheduled for release by Universal Pictures on Friday, October 19th, 2018. I know, I know, another fucking reboot. Yet many in the horror community seem interested in this reimagination that according to the creative minds behind it, will disregard the installments in the Halloween franchise. In an interview with Screen Rant, Halloween creator John Carpenter issued the following statement about Jamie Lee Curtis and her return to portray the character Laurie Strode. Quote, 
No, she talked to the director. Her part was written into the script and they had this idea. It's kind of a, I don't know how to describe it. It's almost an alternative reality. It picks up after the first one and it pretends that none of the others were made. It's gonna be fun. There is a really talented director and it was well written. I'm impressed." Unquote. The original Halloween released in 1978 and the 2018 version not only brings Jamie Lee Curtis, John Carpenter back into the production, but also Bloody Disgusting has confirmed that Nick Castle will reprise his role as the character, The Shape, aka Michael Myers. The synopsis to the original Halloween reads as follows. 15 years after murdering his sister on Halloween night 1963, Michael Myers escapes from a mental hospital and returns to the small town of Haddonfield to kill again. In 2018 reboot to this slasher classic, the director would be Deborah Hill and she would also be part of the writing team that consists of David Gordon Green, Danny McBride, and of course is based on the characters created by John Carpenter and this information is sourced from imdb.com. Now from my personal view I've, I fucking despise reboots. I think they are these type of films are uncreative and pretty much you're piggybacking off the idea of another creator. You don't have any ideas, Hollywood. So we have seen this tragedy time and time again with horror films being reinvigorated. Take for example, The Mummy. It is a combination of Mission Impossible meets a Universal Studio movie monster. It's pitiful, it's sad, and this is the way Hollywood is going with these reboots. Now, mind you, there are a few gems. Take for example, Dawn of the Dead, very excellent remake, a reimagination of the zombies. It run, it was more terrifying, the characters were spot on, well portrayed. Of course, there are those few reboots and remakes that do make it. But in the sea of reboots, it is it the cons outweigh the pros. So as I had mentioned in my presentation, most in the horror community are looking forward to this reboot for Halloween is bringing back the original cast. And I must point out that Nick Castle, he's in his 70s and he's going to reprise his role as the shape. That's outstanding. I find that to be not only does it you're bringing back the characters, but you're not going to see a gargantuan serial killer just as how Rob Zombie did in his 
in his vision of Halloween. I think those those visions, although they were cinematically well put together, it was pathetic because Michael Myers is not some type of white trash redneck. That's the way he was portrayed in these films and his family were. That's not the vision of a suburban type serial killer. Totally off the wall on that in that regard. I do have to emphasize that the cinematic quality was good in Rob Zombie's film, but I personally don't appreciate that type of flair for these characters. Anyway, Jamie Lee Curtis is back, Nick Castle is back, is John Carpenter is on the scene to change the wrongs that were done to this franchise, and there were many, many wrongs, as I had mentioned in my previous uh, presentation. On Hellraiser the first presentation there are horror film franchises that have gone down the drain because of the vision of the filmmaker or the writer and this is another case the Halloween franchise hopefully this reboot would do justice let's see what would happen and if it falls down the drain as previous installments to the franchise I would say leave it alone let Michael Myers rest in peace just as how Jason is and go the route of video game platforms. That is the new medium now. Filmmakers, with your original content, pay attention. Don't fucking be making any more reboots or remakes or trying to reinvigorate your idea. Go to do video games. Take your characters into the video game realm. Look at the success of Friday the 13th and how is it doing on the video game platform. And of course, you have the original actor, well, not really the original, uh, one of the best portrayals of Jason there is. So he's in that video game. You could do the same with Michael Myers, even more terrifying. Exclusive interview, filmmaker Jed Bryan, unlisted owner. I know you guys are still mad at us for this move, but look at this big house. Give me a couple years, I'll fix it up, and you will love it. It'll be perfect! <laughs> I don't know what to do. I think someone's gonna have, I don't know where everybody is. On Wednesday, December 20th, 2017, I had the pleasure to speak with filmmaker Jed Bryan. The topic of conversation centered on the drive and business aspect for his full feature release titled Unlisted Owner, now available on Amazon. The synopsis to Unlisted Owner reads as follows. The owner house has been vacant for several years because of its very dark history, but with the recent series of murders, it has been taken to the next level. 
A family who just moved in has been murdered causing the curiosity of a group of friends to get the best of them. Deciding to break in and investigate with the handheld cameras would be the worst decision of their fun-filled night. The terrifying and suspenseful footage has been edited for the film Unlisted Owner. This is from imdb.com. Unlisted Owner is a found footage film and although it is one of my least favorite genres in horror cinema, I find the passion behind the project to be fascinating and inspiring. Below is an excerpt from the official press release. Unlisted Owner was written and directed by Illinois native Jed Bryan, starring Gavin Groves, Haiti Corona, Andrea Potts, Jed Bryan, Tyler Landers, and Levi Atkins. The film was released on DVD and through Amazon streaming on Amazon starting November 14, 2017. The film was filmed entirely in southeastern Illinois town of Sumner by Jed Bryan's production company, Lawford County Production. Having a cast mostly from the Sumner area and actress Haiti Corona from Shelbyville, Illinois, the film has a strong Midwestern feel. The film is being released by Tomcat Films slash Summer Hill Films. Unlisted Owner has had a powerful opening on Amazon with pre-orders since launching 11 weeks ago. The film has had stiff competition competing against some of the most fan-filled horror franchises like IT an American Horror Story Season 6, to new film releases such as 47 Meters Down and Jeepers Creepers 3. Writer-director Jed Bryan said the following, quote, It is so amazing to see unlisted owner do so well competing against such well-known new releases in the toughest time of competition for a horror film, unquote. That was an excerpt from the official press release DK Mag received in our inbox. Now, stay tuned to dkmag.com for our film review for the for this film Unlisted Owner. But do pay attention to some of the insights on the business aspect and the drive behind getting this film on Amazon and not only that production and vision to the film as i had mentioned a few before found photo films is not my personal favorite in the horror genre but that nevertheless filmmakers devote so much time and effort sweat blood tears money into the production to push this forward sometimes reviews are negative sometimes they are positive and you must take both in order to develop yourself, to develop your creativity. Don't just take the, the positive and forget the negative. The negative responses, creative negative responses, are beneficial 
for your creative path. Always remember that. So, if a review is creative in its negativity, negative approach, do take that into consideration. This goes across the board for filmmakers, artists, writers, anything that is has to do with the creative realm. Always take both contexts of positivity and negativity. With that said, I'm straying off the topic for a bit, but do check out our review for Unlisted Owner. Do give a listen to what filmmaker Jed Bryan has to say and his push to get his vision realized. And also note, Jed Bryan does not live in Hollywood or in the surrounding areas of Hollywood, nor does he live in New York where access to networking channels or persons in the film industry is easily accessible. He resides in a town of Illinois where these resources are limited. And yet here we have unlisted owner going up against top names, productions in horror on Amazon. And it's in the top, top tier. Amazing shit. Pay attention, ladies and gentlemen. If you're an aspiring writer, filmmaker, artist, pay attention to this shit. This is the shit that you need to listen to if you have doubts in your work. Well, without further ado, here is my interview with filmmaker Ted Bryan. My name is Ken Artuz, okay. founder for DK Mag. Joining me this evening is Jed Bryan, independent filmmaker, and we're going to be discussing his latest release, Unlisted Owner. Thank you for joining me, Mr. Bryan. Hey, thanks for having me. And the opening question is basically telling the audience for those who may not know who you are uh, a bit of a backstory or an origin story if you may uh, consider yourself the superhero and uh, let's <laughs> <laughs> and start uh, from the humble beginnings all right well I'm a, a southeastern Illinois filmmaker um, <clears throat> I'm based out of a little town called Sumner Illinois it has 1100 people and um, Probably, I would say, when I first uh, got out of high school, I kept getting ideas for different movie ideas, script ideas. So uh, me and some buddies, we had all started writing different scripts and stuff. And we actually made a teaser trailer for a script I had written called Meth House that we didn't have the funds to make. So we just kind of made a teaser trailer and put it out there on YouTube to see if we could get any you know, buzz from it, which it didn't really go anywhere. And then we... Uh, ended up doing a GoDaddy commercial contest. I think we got eighth out of 539 videos. So and when we got eighth in that, we thought, well, you know, maybe we should actually try to do something. So I finally came up with the concept to be able to make our own film. So I kind of wrote a script around the budget that we had to make a film with and uh, ended up being unlisted owner. Wow. So that's kind of how everything began and started in a nutshell. And as far as horror goes, uh, ever since I was a kid, I've always been interested in horror movies and 
my parents took us to haunted houses and my mom had actually bought me a VHS of House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. Love that film. Uh, and then I had the monster movie King Kong versus Godzilla. And then my mom had also let me watch the movie The Witches with Angelica Houston. So I've always had like a horror background. I've always loved horror films. So to be able to make one myself, it was just, you know, awesome. Icing on the cake. <laughs> and it's funny that you that you insert that your mom allowed you to because most moms... Uh, for filmmakers and including myself uh, we weren't allowed to watch horror films so you are fortunate <laughs> <laughs> well well I'll, I'll put it to you this way to a certain extent like my mom wouldn't let me watch the Halloween films or things like that I mean when I was a kid one night my parents had HBO and I'd snuck downstairs and I'd watched a little bit of Puppet Master the first I think it was Puppet Master 2 and that gave me nightmares and <laughs> but but yeah, they kind of kept it a little bit PG, you know, but they wouldn't let me watch, you know, the Jason or the Michael Myers and stuff like that. So, but I mean, at least I was able to watch those, you know, the B movies and, you know, the classic horror films as a kid. So I was pretty lucky in that aspect. Right, right. Yeah. And, and believe me, I did the same thing myself. Go, sneak out of the room and look through the crack of the door uh, to see what type of horror movie they were watching. Always got caught, though. Yeah. <laughs> I go to bed. We don't have to deal with you later, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And for unlisted owner, let's talk about the business perspective. How difficult was it to accure the funds to get the ball rolling and, and get this production uh, from script to screen? Well, um, I, I funded the entire film myself, um, and it's a found footage style film. So, uh, with it being found footage, we were able to uh, cut a few corners. Uh, we didn't have to have a boom mic operator. We didn't have to have uh, different key grips and things of that nature, or different cranes or do crane shots or anything like that, you know, the or steady cam even. You know, the, the actor was the one in control of the camera. So we were able to save a lot of costs there. And then also uh, in the town I live, I'm actually a volunteer firefighter. So... Being a volunteer firefighter, I was able to have access to police and ambulance and fire to be able to have that sequence in the film. And uh, so I was able to cut a lot of corners that way. And then also, as far as the actors in the film, most of them were just my friends. So uh, whenever I wrote the script, I kind of wrote around like the type of dialogue I would see them say as this character and uh, kind of like their different mannerisms and stuff. So I wasn't, so I didn't have to go do hardcore casting to be able to get the actors in the film. I already knew who was going to play the parts. So I saved money that way as well. Interesting. And for the area of Southeastern Illinois, is it difficult yeah. to cure uh, the talent, the actors? And I'm not talking SAG. I'm talking about upcoming <clears throat> actors. Right. Yeah. It. W I mean... Like I said before, um, everybody who's in the film is actually from uh, the area I live in, ex with the exception of one of the female leads, Heidi Corona. She is from Shelbyville, Indiana, which is up by Indianapolis, and she was attending a local university in Vincennes, Indiana at the time. So everybody else, uh, some of the people in the film had done different little theater things, but nothing, nothing like a feature-length film. So it was everybody was green at doing it, and uh, I was very happy with the result we ended up with. When we first started, 
I wasn't sure, but I also wanted to give them as much, you know, flexibility as possible. Like before we would shoot a scene, we do a, a round table read. And if they would say, well, I don't see my character saying this, or this would be more natural for me to say, or easier for me to say, as long as it didn't change the main direction of the film or the, you know, the backbone of the conversation that the characters were having, then I would allow it to kind of give it more of that natural flow to try to make it look as believable as possible. Right. And for a found footage concept, I see that a lot of performers, the actors, they go more, they go more with the heart improv. So it's, it's yes. interesting to see that you went with the more improv direction and <clears throat> becoming it more yeah. natural. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I, uh, I That's one thing I've seen in many horror films is that uh, sometimes the dialogue is so dry and you can tell that the actors are trying too hard. And I just wanted to make it look as natural as possible. I wanted it to look like this is a group of friends that uh, bicker and argue a lot. And sometimes there's two protagonists that just kind of get everybody into trouble. And I kind of want to make really drive that home and try to make it believable. Like, look, yeah, this this could be a group of kid, millennials, you know, uh, bored one evening and go off and get into trouble. Interesting. And you opened up your own production company, Lawford County Productions. Uh, yes. And the film Unlisted Owner is the debut for your production company? Yes, that is correct. Yeah, we so far we've only actually shot a couple of things. We did a, that GoDaddy commercial and then we did a teaser trailer. Of course, the teaser trailer was kind of the first, <clears throat> the first incarnation of us trying to shoot different things just to see what we could do. But uh, as far as Unlisted Owner goes, yeah, it's our first film. And the actual production company named Lawford County Productions, there actually is no Lawford County. It's a fictional county that in a lot of my scripts, I have this county in the different scripts. I mean, there could be a Lawford County, Illinois. There could be a Lawford County, you know, Texas. There could be a Lawford County, Tennessee or Kentucky even. So I kind of generate this fictional, a fictional county name that all these different events take place in all my different scripts. Okay, thank you. And now that you have your film, you completed the production, you you have your company going, what was next? I uh, see uh, you did everything, self-distribution and self-marketing? Well, uh, not exactly. We actually have a distribution company. Uh, they're called uh, Tomcat Films or Summerhill Films out of Phoenix, Arizona. And how we were able to acquire the distribution deal we'd actually tried the film festival route with uh, not very good success with that we didn't get into a lot of the ones we had submitted to so and everything i had read up to that point was you know to be able to get a distribution deal you need to get it into the festivals and you need to get the word out about it so i had actually found out about the american film market in santa monica california so we uh, saved up some money and we went out there and we'd actually showed the film twice and uh, we'd sent out screeners to the different distribution companies. And by the end of AFM, we had several distribution companies interested in the film, and we narrowed it down to three, and we ended up signing with Tomcat. Wow. And th that is very interesting that I, I see that there was a, a bit of a, a setback. You guys did not get into yes. the film festivals, but now yes. you've proven to be successful on Amazon, reaching number nine against top budget 
uh, well, in the indie scene, these are pretty much top budget films. Oh yes, for sure. Yeah, it was it was pretty amazing. We found I think it was September twenty first or twenty second that the film was uh, available for pre order on Amazon, and it was actually going to come out November fourteenth. So as soon as we found out it was coming out, we uh, got the word out and put you know put it on Facebook and all of our social media platforms. And the next evening, uh, a friend of mine had actually contacted me and said, Hey, you guys are number 14 on Amazon's hot new horror release list. So I had to hurry up and go to the page and there we were. And we had made it all the way up to number ninth on that list. And it was in October and uh, walking dead season seven, it just came out. So we're going up against that TV show, uh, American horror story, season six, 47 meters down uh, called a Chucky. Uh, so we were going up against all these films, and it was just pre-orders for us being able to drive it uh, up to number nine. And uh, we've been on the top 100 list for uh, 12 weeks now. So we're very, very blessed for that, for sure. Uh, congratulations for that. I, well, thank I, you. These, thank are the, these are the small steps that filmmakers yearn for, and you guys did it yeah. on the first try. That's awesome. Well, thank you very much. Yeah, we uh, we also had found out uh, the film has recently been, uh, let's see, it's on iTunes now. You can also uh, pick it up on Barnes & Noble's website, uh, Turner Classic Movies website, FYE's website, and then also if you're a gamer, you can get it on your Xbox. So, of course, I had to buy it for my Xbox, you know. <laughs> <laughs> of course. Uh, and I'm, I'm assuming it will be for the PlayStation as well. I'm assuming I haven't heard an official uh, announcement on that, but I'm hoping it will be because I'd love to get it on as many platforms as possible. That's for sure. And for social media, Facebook, you just finished mentioning how influential was that in getting the word out for unlisted owner? Oh yeah. Facebook, uh, Instagram, Twitter, uh, they were all very key to the success of unlisted owner uh, because we had, We'd actually started on, when you talked about the setbacks, we'd actually finished filming in 2013, and uh, we actually submitted to the film festivals in 14, and at the end of 14, we found out it wasn't getting very much, you know, traction. So the uh, following year, uh, well, I think it was, no, actually it was later that year, I went out to Los Angeles and found out about the American film market, and I found out I had just missed it by a couple of days. So I had to spend the whole next year preparing to go to the American film market. And then after the American film market, it took about another half a year to get a distribution deal after I heard back from all the different distribution companies. Then we end up having to do all our deliverables and finally got the release this year. So next film we do, it'll that part will take a lot less time. And actually the filmmaking part will take longer, I'm hoping. <laughs> right, right, right. Well it's it's the 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 journey of the filmmaker you learn along the way uh you learn yes. from the mistakes and the next time around everything will seem seem that's the key word much easier yes for sure yeah because like i said we're based out of a small town sumner in southeastern illinois where you know the closest mall to where i live at is an hour and a half away so to be able to take a film that was filmed entirely here and then be able to see it number nine on Amazon's top hot new horror releases goes to show you that it doesn't matter where you live or what you come from, as long as you believe in what you do and think you have a good product and just keep pushing, even if you don't get success in the film festivals and stuff, it doesn't mean you still can't get your product out there for people to see and have success with it. Absolutely. And from 
everything that you have described uh, not getting into the film festivals uh, not getting into AFM on time were there, was there any point uh, that you would say to yourself you know what uh, I'm just going to give up for this for a while what kept you going to get this product out on the market well, I, I believe that what we had was a, a, a good product, and uh, a lot of times, I mean, found footage is kind of acquired te- taste for certain people. I mean, it's not a traditionally shot film. I mean, all my other scripts are all traditional, but this is my first. This is the first found footage film that I'd actually written, and uh, so to be able to see that aspect of you know being able to make something to save money on and just you know just keep grinding and just knowing that you know you have something good if you know the right people see it i mean it's been described as a a reality show gone off the rails this film so uh, i believe i had something good and if you just believe in yourself and you just keep pushing you never know what where it's going to end up yes uh, i'm a firm believer of that as well and you have to love what you do and do what you love and then when you know that you have something of value for your core audience you have to do everything possible to just get it out there that's right and the fact you know we had three distribution companies that believed in us enough that you know they're willing to stick their neck out and say look you know this is a good product that we're willing to put our stake our name on to be able to get it out there you know really says a lot too right right and also uh, touching on the the business aspect of the film shooting in in a found footage aesthetic uh, kept costs down Uh, do you think that would have been a a wise choice to go the traditional route you thought even with the access to crowdfunding platforms well unlisted owner I mean it could be uh it could have been a traditionally style film, but I mean, the way I shot the different camera angles and different points of view and things like that, it wouldn't have worked as well. Um, I, I, I kind of just wrote this script around a found footage style. It wasn't a script I had originally written and said, oh, well, you know, if I make this found footage, it'll it'll be a lot, you know, it'll be a lot cheaper to make. Now this is the found footage from the beginning. I mean, I would love to make a traditionally shot film but uh, the found footage was kind of a good stepping stone because, like I said, we had done the teaser trailer and we had done the uh, GoDaddy commercial to see if we could actually make something that's 74 minutes long to be able to do the found footage style was a really good test for us. And it really did prove that, hey, we can we can do a traditionally shot film now, no problem. So uh, but with this film, it wasn't just, you know, just someone walking around with a video camera. I mean, we had a we even had a set for the film. Uh, We had a scene that had an attic space, and the house that we shot in didn't have an attic space. We actually had to have a fake room built to the specs of the real room to make it look believable. So, I mean, we had we had to do some special effects stuff like that. It was kind of kind of crazy. So, we we definitely learned a lot though during the process. And during the filmmaking process, uh, you're the writer director. Uh, What other areas of production did you wear a hat in? Uh, being that is indie filmmaking, you know, when you're the writer director, you wear many hats. What was some of the other um, work that you'd done? I also acted in the film. I was uh, one of the main characters in the film. Um, I was the main camera operator in the film. 
Um, I also produced the film. I also edited or edited the film. I had a co-editor with me. Um, I'm also currently marketing the film as long as well as my uh, distribution company. So I'm just kind of, I mean, I wore a lot of hats in this project. Uh, I came up with a story. Um, I wrote the story. I had a, uh, actually Kyler Landers, who also acts in the film. He co-wrote some of the story as well. But for the most part, it's <laughs> I wore a lot of hats for it. That's for sure. <laughs> and I can see what the passion drives you. Like, I'm definitely going to get this out. There's a lot of work that went into yeah. this. Yes, yes, for sure. Yeah, I mean, a lot of long hours in the editing room. Uh, we uh, in the film we did a, we did these things called a blend edits, is what we called them, or jerk edits. And what we would do is a lot of found footage films. Um, whenever they're filming, they like do these hard edits where it stops, and then all of a sudden there's another scene that pops up. So we wanted to try to make these scenes look like one long fluid scene. So what we would do is we would shoot a scene and then we dip a little bit into the next one and I would drop the camera down. And then when we shoot that next scene, I would go back into the last scene, do that same dip. And then when we cut it and put it in the editor side by side, it would look like one fluid motion. And I remember one time in particular, we uh, I was we were trying to do a blend edit to where I was leaving a vehicle and we were looking at it for about 15 minutes and I said, her thinking that something's not right here or something off. I kept seeing the edit and I wasn't supposed to. And what had happened was is the character Gavin had taken the keys out of the vehicle. And then whenever I left the vehicle, my actors in the, who were waiting in the vehicle for the scene to be over, they had gotten cold and I told them just to start it up. And I wasn't thinking. So whenever they, we put them in the editor it went from no sound of the vehicle running to all of a sudden I'm outside the vehicle and it's running. So we had to go back and reshoot that entire scene just because of that car running. Uh, uh, well, well, at least you caught on to that. There were some filmmakers that don't catch it. And then the continuity issues come into play and audiences do they yeah. catch on to that stuff. Yeah. And that and that's another thing I learned. Uh, I let the cast pretty much uh, pick out their own costumes and, you know, they brought what they wore to cut down on costs. But next time I'm going to definitely buy the costumes for the people to wear and have them change on set because <clears throat> with that mess up scene we had to go back and shoot <clears throat> excuse me and um, one of the actresses couldn't find her shirt that she had on her overshirt and one of the actors couldn't find his fake glasses that he was wearing so to <clears throat> be able to have to go to all these different department stores and try to find this exact looking shirt was almost an impossible task <laughs> ah yes that is so true <clears throat> Uh, that's where the wardrobe do come in because they have a more yeah. than one shirt. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> yeah. So for any independent filmmakers out there who are aspiring, make sure that you buy the costumes for the actors <laughs> and keep track of it. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Right. Oh yeah. I had that type of experience myself and in, in one project the same similar to yours that they didn't bring their shirt and it was, you know, the the person was a small. We only had a large. So, uh, yeah, I understand the <laughs> headache. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it can be it can be quite stressful. Uh, one of our actors in the film, he uh, had a goatee to start out with. Well, then he got a new job to where he couldn't have a goatee any longer. So we had to sh we had to time the scene to where he would have a few days off to where he'd have a little bit of scruff to make it look like still like he still had a goatee and just try not to concentrate the camera too much on him but that was a that was another struggle we had <laughs> oh uh, and 
you, <clears throat> you mentioned uh, you work in, in, in your community. Uh, how was it, how difficult was it to find a time for your employment, your day job, and creating your project? Well, uh, we actually shot on the weekends for the most part. Uh, we did have a couple of scheduling conflicts. We had a couple of the actors. One worked every weekend during the day, and then another one worked every other weekend. So it was, it was kind of difficult, but we were able to get the scheduling conflicts resolved. Uh, with my job, I was able to take off whenever I needed to, so that worked out all right. But uh, like I said, we had a couple of actors that were having some uh, scheduling conflicts, but we, we got through them, we pushed through them. So, but one thing that I was so grateful for is that everybody who was in the film was very, very reliable. I didn't have anybody who was late, who didn't show up because, uh, like I, like I've said before in other interviews, like, you know, if you're in a band and your drummer all of a sudden doesn't show up to your gig, you know, you can always find another drummer in one of the opening bands or something to fill in possibly, or just, you know, if you're going to like a whole bunch of shows you're going to do, you can find a replacement drummer. If you make a movie and you get halfway through and one of your lead actors says, I'm out, you got to go back through and reshoot everything that you'd already shot. And <laughs> yeah, so that is a huge headache <laughs> and that would increase your cost because you, oh, there's yeah. no way you could replace the, whatever role that person is in. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a big, big issue. And then, you're also, if you have to do that, the actor that you may get to replace that person may not do as good a job as what they were doing during the film. So you always run that risk as well. Absolutely. So for the concept for Unlisted Owner, what, what was the origin story that influenced this script? Well, the, uh, the origin is basically, the film is based around a legend of this house <clears throat> that a man named Thomas Colton supposedly murdered his family and had lit the uh, bodies on fire in the basement. And um, this house has been vacant for several years, and a new family has just moved in, and they've been murdered. So a group of friends, including myself, which I have a new video camera, so I'm filming everything, and we hear about the family five that's been murdered in this house, and we're uh, it's about a mile away from where we're getting ready to do this weekend camping trip at. So we show up to the house, and there's police cars and ambulances there, and they're pulling a body out of the house, and the character Griffin says, I don't want to go camping this close to where someone's been murdered. Well, we convince him to go camping anyways, so we're out at the campsite partying, having a good time, and we hear on the radio that they caught the killer. Well, in our boredom, we decide to go to the house and check it out for ourselves, and that's when all the fun happens. (laughs) (laughs) So is this influenced by a case that really did occur in the neighborhood or completely fiction it's a completely fiction um how i how i got how i get inspired by different things um in the area that i live i drive around a lot and when i drive i get to thinking wow you know if this happened or this happened you know that'd be crazy so I write it down of you know what a story you know it could be and and in this case you know it's about a group of friends that uh, say that you were in a group of friends and one of them decided they were going to break into a crime scene and they're in there by themselves are you going to go in after them and risk getting in trouble but saving them at the same time or are you going to bail on them and let them take the rap for it and just kind of let them you know be in control of their own destiny so there's a lot of 
you know, decision-making and quick decision-making and a lot of what-ifs of what if I do this, what if I don't do this, you know. It boils down to friendship of, you know, hey, do I really want to get myself in trouble to help out my friend? <laughs> and or get myself killed. <laughs> right, exactly. That is the eternal question, especially among yes. friends. And when it has to do with drinking, that that just amplifies the whole mm. deal. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah, yes. that's definitely the case here. Interesting. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, for unlisted owner, it's completely work of fiction and found footage uh, aesthetic. What do we see uh, do we see a continuation of this film do we see another integration of a found footage concept in your upcoming projects we uh, like I said we have we have a few projects a few finished scripts that we'd like to do um, we'd like to do it we'd like to try to do a traditionally shot one the next time I mean I'm always open for an unlisted owner part two but like I said, right now I'd kind of like to do a traditionally shot one and just kind of try our hand at that and see how it turns out. Um, um, and just you know to see you know because managing a production crew is a lot different than just you with a camera with a digital transmitter that goes into another room that your assistant director is watching your movements and stuff. So it'll be a little bit different to actually do like a full production crew <clears throat> during a feature film. But I really want to try that, try my hand at that, to see how that goes. Nice. And for filming unlisted owner, what type of technology were, was utilized? Are we talking about RED or uh, DSLR? No, no. We uh, we wanted to make it look as real as possible. The the film is actually has is in the very beginning of the film, very beginning sequence, there's a thing that pops up, the text that says uh, this uh, footage has been edited together by the Lawford County Sheriff's Department mm -hmm. and we actually have evidence placards that kind of go in between the different scenes, which is kind of like my nod at silent films where they have the little, you know, cue cards in between the different scenes and stuff like that. But we just shot them on <clears throat> just, a, just a $500 Canon handheld camera is what we shot it on. We wanted to make it as real as possible to make it look as believable. And um, instead of having to scale everything down, we kind of wanted that grittiness right off this right off the bat to kind of make the audience think, you know, did this really happen? Is this real footage? So that's kind of the the path we decided to take on that. Interesting, interesting. And I ask because uh, most aspiring filmmakers. Young filmmakers, younger than us, they take the yeah. found footage concept, they use their mobile phones, and they yeah. upload the videos to like Instagram, Snapchat, and compose their films that way. That's why it's, it's so innovative, especially with the technology, the tools, and the online distribution. Mm -hmm. Everything's pretty yeah. much low cost. Yes, yes. There, there's a lot of stuff out there, that's for sure. And, I mean, like you said, people are filming on iPhones. I mean, we didn't. We, we just filmed on a couple of $500 cameras is all we, we – I can't even remember that exact model number. It was like Canon something. But, yeah, like I said, it, there's no limit to what you can and can't do anymore. It's just amazing with the way technology is. And, like I said before, you know, I'm in – Sumner, Illinois, in the middle of nowhere, and I was able to get my film as high as ninth on Amazon's Hot New Horror release list. So it goes to show you, you don't have to be in Hollywood, you don't have to be in California to be able to be a successful filmmaker. It's just following the dream. That is the uh, once I got the 
the uh, the press release in in my inbox and I was reading it over it's just screams just follow your dream push onward from the town from the you start in your company and now reaching number nine that's the whole basis of what this film is about yep you just you just have to believe in what you do and you know you're always going to have critics no matter you know, if no matter how good of a project product you end up with in the end, you're always going to have people who, you know, knock down what you're doing or stuff they don't like. I mean, if you're trying to make a film to please everybody, you might as well not even try because you're not. You just need to go after what you believe is a good product and what <clears throat> you believe that you that whenever it's finished, you feel in your heart that you tried your best and this is what you ended up with. Don't try to make something to appease everybody just you know go after what you believe in and what you think is going to be a good product and you know you'll you'll you know be more successful that way because you'll have the drive and determination and you'll be able to really try to push what you're doing that is so true and it's funny that you bring up the critics because uh most recently film makers and we're not talking about the indie filmmakers we're talking about hollywood filmmakers they have been in an uproar lately because of their critics who put down their film and i feel that you know you're supposed to be thick-skinned especially in the filmmaking yeah. business yeah you have to i mean you know people i mean there's been comments on Amazon, you know, saying, you know, that we're idiots or, you know, or this is horrible or awful, you know, and you just got to think, I mean, for every bad comment, there's probably going to be at least five more people who are thinking, wow, you know, this is awesome. You're doing great. It just, you know, just don't let it get to you and don't let it deter you. I mean, if you don't have a very successful run on your first film, that's all right. You know, you, it's a learning experience. So just don't give up and don't let what people say or what they rate your film or anything like that bug you. Just think, you know, well, I mean, well, they've probably hadn't even made a film. So, I mean, you at least got one up on them that way. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is very true. That is very true. And also to touch on that, when you read a negative comment, you if it's if it's in good taste, you know, you mentioned, you know, calling somebody an idiot is not good taste. But when somebody critiques your work and you take it and you mold it and you use that as, let's say, inspiration. So when you make your own next film, you make a note and say, OK, this person mentioned this. Let me try this out and see if that really works. And that's how you evolve. Right, right. Or, you know, uh, someone may some say something that, oh, I never thought of it that way or I never looked at it from this perspective. So it's good to have, you know, both the positive and the negative, both. But like I said, it, whenever they try to go personal, don't take it personal because they don't know who you are. They don't know what you came from. They don't know what you had to do to be able to get this product out there because <clears throat> some of those negative comments that people say, they try to tear you down and they don't realize all the hard work and the years and the amount of time you spend on a project. <laughs> yeah, believe you me, everything is hard work and it's, it's good that you pushed forward and got this product out. For well, thank this, you very much. I appreciate that. You're welcome. And f how long did it take you to compose this script? Uh, you mentioned uh, the the filming. Uh, how long was the idea uh, generating? Uh, <laughs> well, an honest answer. Um, I was sitting in my 
at, I was living at my parents' house at the time and I was thinking about what, you know, what I could do to make a film and uh, like what would be a good story. And I came up with a, a scene that's in on the Sedona of a, a person being pulled up in an attic space. And I thought that would be a really cool scene in a film and I could see it in a found footage film. So I kind of came up with a story based around that one scene. And I think I had the, I think I had the story in two days probably. And then I think we had finished the script in about a month. And then we started uh, getting our locations the following month and uh, making sure everybody was good and getting some of the people casted for a couple of the roles we didn't have. And then I think we ended up filming that following October. So I think it took us like probably a total of like two and a half months to get all the way up to the filming stage. So it was really quick. That's pretty, that's impressive. That's definitely impressive. Well, thanks. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of like once we got the, once I got the concept and I pitched it to my friends and they said, yeah, let's do it. It was kind of like, okay, next thing you know, we're filming. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, everybody. Hey, of course you got to make a film. Yeah. Count me in. Of course. Yep. There you go. (laughs) Uh, So what pulled your decision to go from the start to create a full feature film? Most filmmakers, when they are dipping their toes, they go for a short film, five minute films, uh, 30 minute film, uh, why just go full length the first shot around? Well, we, like I said, we had done that teaser trailer and I was pretty confident after we did the teaser trailer and after we had edited it together, I thought, well, you know, I really think we could make a product that'd be pretty good, especially with some of the stories and the scripts that we had already written. So, um, I, I was constantly, you know, wanting to make a feature length film It's just, you know, I was waiting for the right script and the right time. And we did the GoDaddy commercial contest and that kind of really boosted my ego about being able to make something like thinking, well, you know, you can do this. I mean, you made a GoDaddy commercial and it got like eighth out of 539 videos. So why not try it and just see what happens? So we decided just to go ahead and go for it. And that's what we ended up with was unlisted owner. Great, great. Uh, th- thank you so much for this insightful. I mean, we touched on the film more from a business perspective because I- I'm, so, I'm always so curious, especially when uh, a filmmaker is making his debut in horror and just comes out with the distribution, the marketing, and to achieve a level of success on Amazon such as this. So it always intrigues me from that business perspective and the creative perspective. Well, I appreciate you asking those questions because like I said, um, I'm hoping there's some aspiring filmmakers out there listening and just knowing that, you know, hey, you can do it. Just, you know, set your mind to it. As long as you have a good cast and a good group of, or even a good group of friends around you who's a good support system, you can accomplish almost anything. Yeah, that is right. And there's also always pursue your dream. And if you fail, uh, try again. And you fail again, try again until you succeed. That's right. And this is the part of the the interview that, that is difficult, most difficult for the interviewee yourself. And this is the part where I ask you to come up with one question doesn't have to be about filmmaking it could be about anything uh for the audience to answer what is your favorite found footage horror film other than unlisted owner 
<laughs> that was a good right hook. I like that one. Uh, very good question too. Hmm. Even for me, uh, man, that is a difficult one. I, I, I bet a lot <laughs> of replies so would be Blair Witch. <laughs> oh yeah, of course, of course, the the granddaddy. <laughs> right, right. Uh, but Hardcore Henry, I gotta admit, that was a pretty good good film. Yes. <laughs> you know, and I'm a I'm a big fan of uh, Grave Encounters. I love Grave Encounters, especially the first one, that twist. I just you know love it, and the record films. It's kind of hard for me sometimes to follow along with subtitles, with uh, you know be, being a French film, but you know it's still a great film nonetheless for sure. Uh, yes, that was you're right, you're right. And uh, where can audiences follow you or unlisted owner across? Uh, social media yeah if you go to our website we have a website at www.unlistedowner.com you can find us on there we also have a Facebook page it's probably the most updated means of communication uh, if you just go to facebook.com and just look up unlisted owner it'll pop right up uh, you can also find us on Twitter at unlisted owner and then also on Instagram and my Instagram is Mr. Jed Bryan I also have updates on there as well Great, thank you. Thank you so much for the, all this rich information on the business and creative side of filmmaking, especially from an indie side and horror. And best of luck to you and uh, happy holidays and happy new year. Happy holidays to you too and thanks for having me on the podcast. I appreciate it. You're welcome and best of luck to your future endeavors 2018 and beyond. I know oh, our circle will 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 close as pretty soon especially with all the ideas that you have for us oh yeah for, well i'll definitely be in touch and if i have any updates i'll definitely let you know all right uh, thank you so much for your time and for this interview and after my interview with jed brian brian had another informational tidbit that he wanted to share so i immediately hit the record button so that way you the audience member could get another insight on the tribulations and obstacles that go through in an indie film production and as you've heard jed bryant expressed how he went through so much tribulations and obstacles to get unlisted owner some distribution and of course look at the end result it is on amazon so this is consider this an extra extra uh part of my interview with mr jed bryant take a listen when we signed the distribution deal the distributor had also required an m&e track so and you know what an e track is, I'm sure, where you have to separate the dialogue from the background sound. So we had to go back through this year from February to July and recreate every sound effect for the entire film. <laughs> wow. That Yeah. <laughs> yeah. See? And that's for the for that's just for the foreign markets. Uh, the the US version, the DVDs and what you see on Amazon and, and the screener are all the the real sound effects that we actually filmed. But for the foreign markets, which I don't think there's many foreign releases yet, they want to be able to dub our voices. 
So every door closed, every footstep, everything is had to be recreated. Probably the funniest thing is uh, I actually have a girlfriend in the movie, a fictional girlfriend named Andrea, and I give her a kiss in one of the scenes. <laughs> so I needed a kiss sound, and since we had started the movie, I'm actually married now and have a, have a baby on the way. So the kiss sound is at, that we recorded is actually me and my wife. So uh, whenever the foreign markets, whenever they watch it, they'll see me kiss a girl, but the sound will be me kissing my wife. So. <laughs> <laughs> that will go. That will go perfect with the behind-the-scenes DVD release. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, that's one. That's one thing. On the DVD, they did allow us to have behind-the-scenes, but we were limited to ten minutes for the disc for the space on the disc. Unfortunately, I wish I could have added more behind-the-scenes stuff. But we were only able to allow about ten minutes, so and I didn't even get was I wasn't even able to add any of the fake room stuff. I wish I was able to add that, but <laughs> well, there's but, always YouTube and 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 the website. Yes, <laughs> yes, for sure. Yeah, and that's one of one of the things I'll probably eventually do. Will be make another little behind the scenes thing and put it up on YouTube and let people check it out that way. Exclusive interview, actress, Beldelia. The following interview is a two-parter with one introduction. On Wednesday, December 20th, 2017, and on Friday, December 22nd, 2017, I had the opportunity to speak with Beldelia. She was scheduled on December 20th, and screenwriter Helen Sang she was on the, the 22nd of December segment. Both Delia and Sang were part of the award-winning production titled Scratch. The film won the award for Thriller Short at this year's Women in Horror Film Festival. This was the debut slash inauguratorial launch for this film festival platform. In my interview with Beldelia, we scratched the surface, pun intended, on the character Delia portrays in the film Scratch. Also discussed is the psychological expression of the film and of course women's contribution in horror cinema over the years. These are just some of the topics we delved into in this interview. In the second interview, screenwriter Helen Sang went in depth on her period-set psychological thriller, the invocation of suppression of the male of the female model under a dominant male antagonist, is portrayed eloquently in the short film Scratch, and Sang and I without offering spoilers, so don't expect any spoilers here. We tackled the issues of the film Scratch and her vision. Not only that, do tune in to these interviews where these filmmakers, these performers express how the, the behind the scenes, their drive, what fuels them to create and to perform in the field of horror cinema and not only that but in film production in general scratch had success in the film festival circuit this year in 2017 
and this short film will release in 2018 for the general public. No information is offered yet. And in these interviews, no information was leaked. So if you're expecting some, nothing will be offered. Stay tuned to DK Mag for further developments on the release of this short film scratch. And without further ado, as I had mentioned, this interview is a two-parter with one introduction. First up is the interview with Beldelia. And second will be the interview with screenwriter Helen Sang. Of course, I'll be providing an intermission so you could distinguish each interview. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. Joining me this afternoon slash this evening is actress, producer, Belle Delia. Thank you for joining me, Ms. Delia, and uh, setting the time for this interview. Oh, you're welcome. It's so wonderful to join you. I, you know, um, obviously, I, I'm a new, new fan of Decay Magazine, thanks to our Women in Horror Film Festival, actually. Uh, and, and speaking of Women in Horror Film Festival, congratulations for uh, garnering the award for Thriller Short. That's amazing. Yeah, thank you. I mean, look, with the company that we're amongst in the festival, which is a really, really wonderfully high standard, it was real, like a real treat. And it was really nice because we, we got some really great nominations throughout our festival run and at the festival for Women in Horror Film Festival as well. But this one was nice because it was a, um, you know, a team award. And yeah, so that was really lovely. Uh, yes, amazing. And congrats again. And for the members of the audience who are unfamiliar with your work and uh, your career, please provide a brief uh, backstory, uh, origin story of yourself mm -hmm. and your career. Sure. Um, well, I, I would describe myself as an actress and producer primarily. Um, I'm complimented by your saying I'm a writer, but I, I collaborate with writers and I love um, creating stories and, and working out concepts, but I um, take my hats off to writers because it's such a skill and um, that, that's more my background is in the production. I actually started in production working for a broadcast station in like many, many, many years ago, um, worked on, on everything from um, commercials to associate producing on a reality show to post-supervising 35 mil neg on a documentary. Um, and then, you know, started getting into acting and um, started out in the, I guess, the indie horror scene with acting because my first feature role was in The Tunnel, which was an indie horror that kind of went a little viral and got picked up around the world and downloaded you know i think today it's probably up to 15 million plus downloads around the world and that really introduced me to uh coming over to la and scream fest and um if you can't tell i've got an accent did i say i'm from australia i'm from australia <laughs> <laughs> um 
so yeah, that really brought me over here to Screenfest and I kind of fell in love with that indie filmmaking community and um, wanted to make the move over here. And I guess from there, I've sort of changed gear a little bit, maybe into the more narrative work, hence Scratch, uh, and also, you know, um, developing a few other projects along the way. Oh, that's amazing. Um, I'm, I'm hoping that uh, your peers would also be joining you in, in Los Angeles, the, the cast and crew from Alpha J Hamlock. They're still in Australia. Oh. <laughs> yes, they're wonderful. Their film is really terrific. It's just so exciting to watch and they're doing so great on the festival circuit. And it's, it's always nice when the filmmakers behind it are just really good human beings along with being very talented. So yeah, I'm really thrilled for them. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So yeah, so, hopefully they'll come over here. That'd be nice. Exactly. <laughs> uh, and for the film uh, Scratch, uh, yeah. we reviewed it here on DK Mag, and it does have a very impactful story. The horror genre, horror cinema, is known for its social commentary, and I enjoy the social commentary that is presented in this film. I uh, know, without giving delving too deep into the plot, uh, yeah. we see there is a psychological point of view of infidelity yeah i mean it's based on a 1950s housewife who's left alone by her philandering husband and uh starts to hear noises in the house that are coming from within the walls and the story just yeah it's definitely taken which um credit and hats off to helen shang the writer of it because um it was a really lovely psychological twist on you know a very almost hitchcocking sort of feel of film um with a little horror twist in there yes and it it's very interesting that the era of the 1950s was selected as the backdrop because that is the era in which women were more suppressed under male uh, uh, oppression as opposed to today <laughs> sorry <laughs> it's kind of funny i mean i guess it's in many ways, I think we're seeing a lot now. We're like, wow, in many respects, we've come so far. And then in some respects, um, we've still got a long way to go. But, you know, I guess that's the wonderful thing about film is you, like you said, it gets to be this so social commentary where absolutely this is definitely a period film and it's about, you know, uh, something that is taking place in that time period and what it was like then. But I think the the cool thing about it is that there's many aspects which people could probably relate to, you know, at any time, in any period. Absolutely. And, and for the 2018 calendar year, uh, mm -hmm. Scratch is going to unveil it for the general public. Yeah, in a, in a couple of ways. And I can only mention the online, that we are going to bring it to the general public online. Um, but uh, there's not much more detail I can go into yet. So hopefully people will jump on our you know facebook page and and follow scratch because it's going to be definitely shared with the public in a couple of ways so that's really nice after a good uh rewarding festival run it's really nice to be able to get it out there and share it with a wider audience so i'm excited about that because i can't wait for people to see you know the work of it's emma bell's directorial debut many people know her as a very talented actress and and I just can't wait to, for people to get to see the work of everybody. Emma's first directorial debut, the work of 
our cinematographer and crew and you know and the other cast and, and everyone behind it it's you know yourself how much blood sweat and tears goes into indie filmmaking and even on a short film level it's you know it's really nice to be able to share it yes it's so true and we got a we're, we're living in a great era right now that we have the internet digital uh, uh, distribution and also crowdfunding so mm -hmm. the indie filmmaker does have uh, all the tools that his his and her disposable as compared mm -hmm. to a few years back absolutely yeah i mean it it's still it still takes a, a village, you know, which is nice because I think that's why a lot of us do it because it is definitely more possible now because you can go out there with whatever you have, you know, in arm's reach, you know, whether it's an iPhone or something else and you can create something. But the nice thing is that it's always going to take a team and collaboration and, you know, that, that's my one of my favourite things about it. Yes, and... The Women in Horror Film Festival it definitely mm. showcased uh, women's role in horror cinema, of course. And from your perspective, how far and how much have uh, women have progressed since, let's say, the 60s up until now? Um, as far as in the genre or in like what are you talking specifically about the sort of filmmaking? Well, both in the filmmaking process and also for characters, because so back in the day, 60s, 70s and early 80s, the female characters were more right. so submissive. But now we've seen an evolution. Yeah, I mean, there are some like incredibly complex characters, I guess, out there in, in female characters that are shown and, and they are so well received by the audiences um, from, oh, what was the last, Hidden, is it Hidden Figures, the NASA? Yes. Yeah, I mean, from that to then films like that I love personally, like um, The Others and with Nicole Kidman and Cracks with Eva Green and, you know, um, a lot of what um, Jessica Chastain's doing at the moment. There's, you know, it, it is so well received and that's really nice to see and I think it's just more more of that, more power to it because um, there's so many stories to tell that are, like, just as varied as male characters out there, you know. So it, it's good seeing more of it and I definitely think we are seeing more of it and I always prefer to err on the side of positive that it's just going to continue. We're just going to all add our voices and continue to add to it on both sides, both male and female, I think you know it's never a discouragement like we want less male roles or less male characters we want more of everything we want you know what um you know a lot of the filmmakers like you know i guess they brought to tangerine and you know um other things we want to see all a varied array of characters i agree and every everyone should have their own spotlight uh, shared spotlight that that is and that is the only way uh, film in general can progress in a positive avenue yeah definitely and for your career uh, mm -hmm. you've uh, served as producer actress is mm -hmm. there a particular field now that you want to venture in the upcoming years to say as a directorial debut in some sort 
Um, well, I, I, I mean, I actually did recently direct a, a short that's going to be a part of an anthology, which will be, I'm assuming, announced in the, in the next, perhaps the next year. That was a lot of fun. I, funnily enough, I love it and I enjoy it. It's rewarding, but my heart really belongs to acting and producing and producing from the capacity of I love collaborating with writers. I love being able to create content. Um, so that's something I'm really passionate to pursue is continue collaborating there and, and, and with acting, you know, I mean, I, I, I love, um, the genre, horror genre. Um, I also, I mean, look, that's a community that I think once you are amongst, you can never shake it. And that's a good thing because they are one of the most supportive as you would know like communities out there and and no matter what i think you venture into they'll always be supportive of that so even though i have done some really cool sort of horror genre projects um i even did actually recently a a very cool little horror series vr series for hulu which was called the house and and those things i really adore and i am glad i've always got that horror connection but I also would love to venture into, you know, more psychological dramas, you know, but I'll still stick to ghost stories and fantasy horror. Um, I also love sci-fi, um, like fantasy, more fantasy sci-fi, which um, I've got a film that I'm a part of that's in post-production and hopefully we'll be hearing more about next year. Oh, um, Which is called it. The Tangle, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> Always good to say the name. <laughs> the filmmakers behind that are, the director is Christopher Soren Kelly and Jessica Graham are behind that film. It looks to be a beautiful lyrical sci-fi. So um, I can't wait for, for that to get shared. Right. I have your info pulled up and you portrayed the role of Cleo in that film. Yes, yes, which is an interesting character and it's, it's one of the ones that you, it's a linking piece to, like that actually shot a large portion of the film and then my particular role is a, a, a beautiful and, and crucial kind of linking piece to the, whole, to the whole film. But I can actually probably not say too more without. <laughs> no, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> it was a lovely role to do, so yeah. Good. And... Uh, you mentioned uh, your your uh, your preference to sci-fi and horror, and for these genres, what does it attract you the most? Uh, especially in portraying the role in 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 such films such as The Tunnel and uh, Scratch. Yeah, um, I don't know. I I guess I really love the. Um, I don't know. You get to explore. The real dark parts of what it is to be a human and i think that's kind of nice and in a way i i kind of think it's why everyone in the horror community seems like so sweet and lovely because they go off and they explore these dark stories and these dark you know they go to dark parts of their mind um and i don't know i've just i've always been fascinated with that and i I think everybody out there has got a kind of a dark a dark side and it's kind of interesting to to explore that so and i also love that there's so many genres within horror and sci-fi i mean there's some things i'm not as much a fan of but then i i do love the more psychological fantasy you know um 
dramatic based i guess parts of it yeah that's that's the best thing about these uh genres you have the comedy you have the psychological dramas mm -hmm. and then on the far side you have all the uh the wicked stuff that is yeah. uh hard to watch <laughs> Yeah, like I, I'm such a wimp. I'm such a horror wimp. Like I will be the first to, I recently saw Don't Kill It. I think that was at Screen Fest. It's Mike Mendes's film. And uh, it, like I just spent a lot of the time kind of like blocking my eyes and like looking up at the corner of the screen, but I had so much fun watching it. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so you can kind of have fun and enjoy one part of it. And then as far as when I create, that's when I love it to be the more slower burn, psychological kind of based stuff. Um, that's what I love there. So, I mean, that's the beautiful thing about it is like, you know, there's nothing that is off limits, really. Uh, that's a very, very interesting uh, perspective. And I also got to bring up because uh, more women are coming into the genre and they're putting on some fantastic roles and these roles are more uh let's say role models for for younger audiences and they could adapt to the struggle uh, being it as a female and whatever the social commentary is it's very much adaptable yeah i agree and so for the future calendar year uh what aside from the release of scratch and for the tangible uh what do you foresee in the upcoming year um oh it's actually just to correct it's called the tangle oh excuse me the uh, tangle no no no. <laughs> <laughs> no hey we've got the accent thing going it's totally fair so <laughs> um yeah so of course we get to really scratch with a wider or audience which is great the Tangle, which is the lyrical sci-fi feature, um, you know, we'll be getting word out about that. And then aside from that, I'm actually producing, uh, so that's kind of more of the acting side and acting-wise I can continue to sort of develop work with, um, you know, writers on, on, you know, those genres that I love. Um, but that aside, producing-wise, I'm actually in post-production on a docu-series called From Bottom to Top. And it's basically interviews that uh, Skid Row artists being interviewed alongside emerging or established artists in the industry. So you might have like a painter from Skid Row and then they'll sit down with, and in fact, we did in, uh, interview director Mike Mendes as one of our interviewees. So Mike sat down with a, an artist who happens to be a Skid Row artist and they just sit down in two director's chairs and they just basically talk about their passion and their art. So it's kind of taking the stigma out of homelessness and sort of taking an artist who happens to have had an experience with homelessness, but treating them as they should be as an artist like anyone else. And then just hearing about what drives them as, um, what drives them to get, keep them going with their art, what they love about it, um, you know, how it inspires them. So we've shot eight interviews uh, and um, Emma actually, my the director for Scratch, she was in one of them as well. We had a soul, a renowned soul singer, um, Ellis Hall, who sat down for one of the interviews um, alongside the Skid Row artist. So it's really inspirational and I'm really excited to get out that, that out there next year. So, yeah, just going through post-production right now. So that's definitely on the cards for 2018 alongside 
all the acting things that I mentioned as well. Oh, I, I enjoy that. The premise behind uh, the project you just mentioned, uh, that I find oh. that to be very inspirational. That's, that's amazing. Yeah, well, I kind of, the way I guess I pitch it out there and I, I effectively I will be, you know, out there pitching it um, is uh, it's sort of a cross between Coffees and Cars with Comedians. I think that's the proper title. I've probably got that wrong. <laughs> um, alongside, say, actors on actors like the Hollywood, I think it's Variety or Hollywood Roundtables, and then um, with a dash of, like, Humans of New York. So it's really just stripping it down there to two artists talking about their passions and, um, you know, it has that really nice humanitarian kind of tone to it. So, yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait to get that out there. I think it will be inspiring for a lot of people, oh, no absolutely. matter what. No matter where you are in your career, really, whether you're working your way up or you've already uh, made it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm a, I'm a big supporter of uh, of really pursuing your dreams and uh, believing in failure because you know m most people, most artists, filmmakers, they shy away from the failing part. Uh, they yeah. want to just go straight for the glory, and it doesn't quite work out that way. You have to fail in order to succeed. Oh, definitely. I mean, I think we'd all, it'd be great if we could fi find a way around that. But <laughs> you know what? Like, I mean, so many times um, if something hasn't quite worked out and then I, it's, it's lit a fire under me and then I've looked back later and I've gone, wow, actually I wouldn't have done that film or I wouldn't have been involved in that project if it wasn't for that failure or that missed opportunity, you know, that thing I didn't get cast in or that thing that I that didn't work out you know there's always you know it's always in hindsight but it is good to look back because you you always have those experiences yeah so, and one thing that i'm a true believer in is not to uh, get older and i mean older like 90 or 80 years old and yeah. and and have regret you know because oh. that is so bad you know it's always about pursuing your dreams going after it and if you don't succeed at least you said you tried Oh, exactly. And what's the point in, in kind of growing up and going, well, I, you know, I should really give it up now because now's the time to be, uh, I, I, that hasn't happened to me and I hope it never does. You know, I hope no matter what, it's like no matter what is the standard of like success that even if I'm kind of 60 or 70 or 80 and I haven't reached whatever other people deem as successful, I hope that I just can't help myself and I just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And uh, in terms of your career in acting, uh, I've interviewed a, a couple of other uh, um, writers and actresses. Yeah. And one in two in particular, actually, they mentioned that they strayed away from acting to pursue a career in writing. So that way yeah. they could find that they're giving themselves the work because when they go to the casting calls, they don't get called. They don't want to be sitting around waiting for a call. Do you yeah. see that type of um, uh, same thing happening to you, waiting for the call? Or do you just want to pursue it, your career in, in the indie scene and keep moving forward? Um, oh, definitely you've got to create your own stuff. I mean, it, it's something that I think actually took me, I've been here, I've actually just recently become a citizen, actually, of, of United States. Um, but I've been here five years and it, it took me a long time, scratch and 
the filming of my docuseries were really were the first steps in developing more here because I think I was wanting to just get people calling me up and offering me things or not offering but even just you know opportunities I wanted them just to come come at me <laughs> so I, I think it just took a bit more time maybe because I have a production background I'm like oh I just want someone else to create but you know I love it a lot and I'm so glad I finally pushed myself into creating your own work because um I think it's necessity like even if you're at the top of your game you hear stories of people who are, who are supposedly a-list talent and, and they're missing out on roles that they would absolutely love to do and you know I think even some of those people would you know like to ultimately create something so it happens yeah I think it's happening more and more and it's really nice that it's looking looked at as a positive you know if you're a writer actor or director actor or you know act producer um I think it's a really good thing to do yeah and it's a good way to like climb in the indie scene uh, especially you creating your own content and you get to wear a lot of hats and you gain the experiences in different fields of the film production. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's good to wear, to at some point wear a lot of hats, like even though maybe, you know, even if you might create something that's not that great, but you, you uh, directed it, wrote it, acted in it, um, you know, held the boom mic. It's like, even if you didn't do the best job, I think it's an important thing to do because I was lucky where I came up through production so I was on set all the time and I got to be around grips and gaffers and uh, directors and producers and then I went into post-production I worked with people in editing and sound and and it was really nice because you get a real respect for the other crafts you know especially holding the boom maker that is a very yeah. sturdiest job right there I'm just holding that microphone making sure it's at the right position <laughs> yeah <I know. laughs> it is like it really is like every oh my god sound is really often I think it can be underrated um sound technicians sound recorders on set you know and also post-production it's such it can add and I think it did with scratch actually our sound department from our, our, you know, the guy who was on set holding the boom, our recording um, sound guy to post-production, they added so much to it. I mean, it just, it, it really is another 50% of what's going on, you know, from what you see on screen. <laughs> yes, and audiences would have to tune in for that because there are so many elements in the film Scratch that just comes together so neatly in a, in a nice thriller package. Oh, great. I'm glad you think so. And I'm grateful for your review as well. Thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. And it was great to uh, be a part. Uh, we, we weren't there physically. At, mm -hmm. we, we would be there in 2018. But in this the, the debut, we weren't there. But we were there in spirit and we took the opportunity yeah. to just review all the entrants and winners for this year's Women in Horror Film Festival. Yeah. And if I... If I had a chance to plug them every day, all day, I would because <laughs> um, two festivals that I adore. I mean, Screamfest definitely was such a big influence in coming over here. And um, I have to say of, of late, like Women in Horror Film Festival, their first year was just so impressive as far as 
how much they gave to the filmmakers. You know, they were really generous with their time and, and, and they, they've continued to kind of support everyone who was a part of the festival. So, um, yeah, I hope to get back there, definitely. Awesome. <clears throat> and this is a part, this is the most challenging part of the interview. Uh, which I present the opportunity for the interviewee, yourself, to yes. come up with a question for the audience to answer. Hmm. It could be anything. It could be, uh, what, what were the lottery numbers? You know, anything that pops into your head. <laughs> oh, dear. Gosh, that is challenging. Um, I'd be interested to know because I think there are so many wonderful things about horror and like you know you you can certainly be a fan of like a slasher horror to you know really hardcore horror like that to like the things that i love like slow burn horrors so i think it'd be a cool challenge to see if people can almost name their favorite genre within the horror genre so it, it's kind of fun yeah to see because i think it's great to see how many there are you know and i think once you ask that question you're going to get like you know there's, there's probably like pick a number maybe 20 genres within the genre you know right we should right. make down and uh, name them all yeah everybody should name them i think that would help <laughs> <laughs> yeah and the 20 genres would have more subgenres and more subgenres yeah exactly yeah yeah <laughs> so yeah how many how many can you name i don't know and what's your favorite <laughs> awesome thank you for that and <clears throat> where can audiences find you on social networking? Oh, um, I think it's just under my name. So I think on Twitter, it's just at Beldelia, B-E-L-D-E-L-I-A. And same on Facebook and Instagram. But that's it. I stop there. I can't do anything else. <laughs> Everything else is too challenging and, and far too, you know, yeah, takes too much time. So... <laughs> Uh, yeah, tell me about it. it. I mean, it social media has been such a key component on uh, not just in horror, but in filmmaking across the board. And I just learned some insight in a previous interview that actors are sometimes they they get the part depending on how many followers they got. But you know what? I mean, that is true. And I but there's this whole crazy gray area in between where there's a lot of. Um, you know, there's some there's some genuinely really famous people out there, and then there's a lot of people who I come across. I'm like, how do you have? I don't even know who you are. <laughs> but no, I mean, look. At the end of the day, I like it because I like, I I kind of prefer it to be this more like organic kind of. You meet people at festivals, you connect with them. It's a nice way to stay in touch and keep an eye on each other's work. So I, I love it for that. I mean, of course, it's like wonderful. Like if you get on some big show or something really like some big hit series, of course, it's going to be a fantastic way to really utilize it as what you're saying. Utilize it for, you know, look, I actually have a substantial following. I can that can be of use in your casting. I think that's absolutely happening. Um, but yeah, till till that day, I, I love following my fellow filmmakers and seeing what they're up to and you know sharing with them as well and yeah yeah thank you for that and to close it out for the film scratch what is mm -hmm. one 
element that really stood out for you uh, either in the script form or in the final product that you would that you want audiences to to note on wow um god one (laughs) see this is my problem i actually would prefer to sit here and just list everybody involved and give them all props because everybody was amazing but i know that you can only drop so many of your fellow (laughs) crew people's names in there um so i don't know i think it's just the feel of it the tone of it i feel was really successful because uh when i first sat down with emma and helen we were all we all came up with that we were fans of certain films and and i feel like that carried through to then helen with the script and then what emma did with it and then terry zamalt was our incredible cinematographer and and the composition was done actually by emma's brother chase bell so right from beginning to end i feel like the thing that would stand out is that tonally i think when we sat down and spoke about it what connected us and what drove us to tell the story was there all the way through so i feel like really proud of that you know and really proud to have been a part of that where i think that was the big success out of it yes and as i had mentioned earlier in our interview I feel the mm-hmm. social commentary. I, I, the audiences are definitely gotta reflect. I mean, for astute audiences, because yeah. Yeah, some audiences just watch a film just about. No, yeah, pay attention to the social commentary. It's very good. I enjoy that. Oh, I'm so glad. You know, it, it's nice when you put those little seeds in there and people pick up on them. So I'm so glad to hear that. <laughs> yeah, you're welcome. And once again, congratulations. Thank you for your time uh, for this interview. Thank you so much. It's been really lovely chatting with you. And, you know, it it always is lovely chatting with other creators and and people out there in the community. Absolutely. Absolutely. And looking forward to your your future projects, what you have in store, especially for horror and sci-fi. I'm looking forward to seeing what the... uh, with the future the tangle. Yeah. <laughs> that, yeah. That's, my, that's my latest bit. The Tangle and From Bottom Stop is my personal, yeah, my passion project. So I'll, I'll pimp those till, till no end. <laughs> <laughs> great, great. And uh, happy new year and uh, happy yeah. holidays to you and your family. Yes, happy festive season to you too. And, um, you know, wishing you all the best for next year, for 2018. Thank it's going to be a good one for everybody out there. Oh, yeah. I, be- I believe it. I believe I have positivity. Yes. Uh, that's the word. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Ken. I really appreciate t- chatting with you. Exclusive interview. Screenwriter Helen Sang. My name is Ken Artuz, founder for DK Mag. And joining me this even, well, this afternoon, actually, is writer Helen Shang, and we're going to be discussing on her latest release, award-winning short film titled Scratch. Thank you for joining yeah. me this afternoon, Helen. Uh, thank you for having me. Great. And i like to start off uh, with an icebreaker, which is an easy question for the audience members who are unaware of yourself and your career and your work. Please provide an origin story. Ooh, an origin story. Well, I was born in Beijing, China, 
And um, I moved to the United States, to California, when I was very young. And, um, you know, I've always just wanted to write, and I started watching a lot of horror. So that was kind of the genre I was drawn to um, in terms of, like, you know, my creative work. So after college, I just came out to L.A. and um, started uh you know, I wanted to write for TV and features and uh, just started doing that and going the assistant route. And then I got onto a TV show um, for writing. I got onto Hannibal, um, which was a good, you know, like first show since I love horror and I love genre storytelling. Um, And after that, you know, I, uh, my, um, friend, Belle Delia, contacted me saying, like, did you want to work on a um, a short film together? So that's kind of how Scratch came about. And uh, speaking on Scratch, uh, congratulations on winning the, the award for Thriller Short and the Women in Horror Film Festival. Oh, thank you. Yes, that was really exciting. Because this was like a... Uh, like a passion project for all of us, for Emma Bell, the director, for Beltelia, and for myself. So like this, you know, and everybody else who worked on it. Um, so it was really cool to see that, like, you know, we got recognized. Absolutely. And the Women in Horror Film Festival 2017, that was the inaugural event. So that makes it even more special. Yes. I think that's, you know, like, I love that they have a film festival like this because um, I think that, you know, like, there should be more women storytellers in genre storytelling. So um, this is like a really good festival to showcase that. Oh, absolutely. And also on, on Scratch, I enjoyed the psychological social commentary that you have infused in this film and I, I particularly find it of interest it's set in a period and it's a period piece where mm-hmm. women were more suppressed on the male uh, dominance can you share some insight on on this craft that you've provided for the audience uh, yeah, for sure. So, um, well, when this, when we first had the idea for this um, film, it was basically Belle coming to me, um, asking, like, you know, do you want to do a short together? And we started talking about like what kind of stories that we were going to tell. And the first thing we both thought was like, let's make something that is more psychological that like you know um is something that's different from like a slasher even though i like the genre i like the slasher genre it's something that we wanted to to stay away from for this for this film and so um yeah like the time period i kind of wanted to uh like early on we thought that we should do like a period piece so we can stay a little bit um, just farther removed from like contemporary society. We wanted, we wanted to tell a story that was out of, you know, out of time. That was something that we could like look at, watch at any time and, and be like, yeah, this is a little bit, um, you know, out, out of time. So, so, um, 
so that's kind of where that uh, the the period piece comes from, and that period you got exactly right. That was like a time period where women were more suppressed than now, um, and I think they were forced to put on this, you know, like kind of like in uh, what was that movie called? Um, Far from Heaven with Julianne Moore. I th- I think that was the name. But that kind of, um, they had to put on this sort of, you know, veneer that everything was okay. Uh, and back then, I think a lot of women took, you know, like uh, Xanax or other pills to make themselves happy. So we wanted to capture that. And also cinematically, the 50s, the, you know, captured in cinema after the 50s had that tone to it. People were drawn to the idea that there was this veneer of perfection and that under it there was something insidious, you know, like movies like Pleasantville, which I think that was either 50s or 60s. But, you know, we wanted to capture that time period in that way. And that was a very clever way because while watching the film, the theme, uh, and we could read it on the synopsis, it's about uh, infidelity. And I think the theme just fits perfectly with that era. If it would have been set in a modern piece, uh, it would have had the same impact, but just providing that era in which women were more suppressed, where women now are more liberated and find out the husband is cheating and they'll kick his ass. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, so... um that's a that's a great point because Belle and I, when we were talking about um, uh, this film, you know, we're t- we're thinking of ideas of like um, like entrapment. You know, I think people are entrapped in different ways. Um, it, you know, and infidelity, exactly like you said. I think if this story was told now, it like you know, in Western society. Yes, if if some if your spouse was cheating on you, you could very well leave. There's no society like there's no societal pressure um, to be like yes, you're gonna have to stay with your your cheating partner. Um, but back then there was that. What will people think? This isn't what people do. So we wanted to tell that story then for it to have greater impact for that for that element of it to have greater impact and spot on uh thank you for that and also the film scratch also delves as i mentioned this the psychological uh aspect of horror and to me in my interpretation while watching the film there seems to be a sense of duality is Oh, what type of message are you were you conveying with this particular character and her and her duality and her problem? Um, I think the at least in my mind while writing it, the the two you know the duality which you you aptly picked up on um, basically is Lily the the housewife and then the um, demon lily who is in the wall and i think there could be several ways of interpreting it um 
Emma Bell, the director, when she was, you know, when we were discussing this, she mentioned this could be interpreted as somebody with a mental illness, like bipolar disorder, mm, like that mm-hmm. could be, you know, and that's something that I didn't actually, you know, um, uh, like specifically think about while writing it. But I thought that was a great way of interpreting it. Um, that is definitely a lens that where, where you know, sh- that she was looking at, uh, not to put words in her mouth, but <laughs> like, you know, during our conversation. So I thought that was really a very like like one really good interpretation of that um as i was writing i didn't have that specifically in mind but i just thought about people who were who were repressed who had to live one certain way like you know really the housewife perfect trying to make the house look beautiful um you know standing by her man even though she suspects he's cheating and then the duality is like that sense of uh, demon lily is that sense of like you know, the rage that she has inside of her that, um, and also like that sexuality that she has inside of her, you know, she's mm-hmm. the one who's like getting made up and, and, uh, seducing the husband after she puts real Lily in the wall. So it's, yeah, it's like a representation, I guess, of like the id of, um, of that character that has been literally pushed away inside of her. Yeah, absolutely. Which is now like, yeah, represented as being pushed into the wall. Exactly, exactly. I did catch up. Uh, I did catch. Uh, you, you, you hit uh, the right, the right phrase uh, when Emma Bell uh, directed the film. Uh, she provided some key hints on it could be mental illness because when uh, the character Bell Didia portrays she's sitting she's making you know, putting makeup on her face and the mirror is slightly crooked so we see an off-centered reflection so ah that that's what it's trying to convey and then that that was my interpretation oh that is awesome you know that's something that like as a writer like i didn't actually write that but the fact you know emma and terry the dp they were working together so well um, it was a joy to see Emma and, and Terry Zuma, our DP, work together. But like, you know, having that moment and having hearing your interpretation of that crooked, like slightly crooked mirror is 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 so great. And Scratch is going to release, well, after a successful run in the film festival this year, it's going to release in January for the general public. I know uh, information is still mum at the time, but congrats on that as well. That's another big achievement right there. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so um, after we made the film, Belle, Delia, and she's just been like, just so good and so proactive in, in... steering the ship on like you know trying to get a bigger audience for this film and uh doing that so i'm i'm actually i'm very excited that like people you know because it's a short film we usually we make it for a passion project we don't really think at least for me i don't think that it's expected for it to be released you know so um so that was a joy when she told me about that yeah, it's it's uh, it's funny how passion projects evolve on on their own, and ultimately it becomes a full fledged 
dedication and before you know it you could be seeing a full feature film in production uh, based on this short film and if that were to occur uh, what would your insights be on that Ooh, like if that were to occur a feature i think i think this has a lot of potential to uh definitely be a feature you know i write features as well so this would be like this would be really good especially to work with the same people and to um to you know have that blossom out i you know i haven't really <laughs> thought about the details of that yet but like yeah could be good to think about <laughs> and I, I mean the the, the short film is 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 fantastic you have emma bell and her directorial debut and this is your first uh, dedicated uh a passion project as you put it um so far what has the uh, emotional been for the success has this film has generated so far mm, you mean for myself or uh, yes from other people oh um well this is uh actually the the uh, second short that uh i've written that has been produced this actually met Beldelia because of the first the first short that i did which was called is a was a sci-fi short called distance and that was something that i co-wrote um with the director amy long on it um and bell was the uh an actress in it and then we connected Bill and I, and you know, we 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 hit it off. We developed a friendship, and uh, this is how Scratch came about. And so emotionally, I think what's really was really valuable to me for this one was like I feel like I worked very closely on it with the uh, director and with with the actor, and uh, during like the production, you know, I unfortunately I wasn't able to be on set for the first one. So this one I was. And um like, you know, just seeing it come together was so great. Um I really emotionally felt like um I just love seeing other people who are good at what they do, you know, come together and make a project together. It felt very fulfilling. You know, as a writer, that's what I love. I love seeing when something like when something of mine gets actually shot it's it, i don't think that feeling will ever go away of like wow this is this is really incredible seeing everybody who's so talented you know work to put those words onto the screen and add their own insights add their own interpretations because there's always something that like whenever they bring out something that i didn't think about when i was writing it that's when i'm the most excited uh yeah i i have to agree and that is a stage that i personally have to uh get up on because i i love writing and i've wrote written scripts it's just taking it to mm -hmm. the next level uh that's the part that i need the the push and from your experience uh hearing your origin story what what advices would you give someone such as myself who is trying to mm -hmm. uh, move on? You have the script, you have the dedication, but you just want to move on to the next level. Ah, uh, um, 
Let's see. Well, I guess it depends if it's um, like, so I, hmm, let me try to think. Advice for, I think, first of all, keep writing is an advice that, uh, that, I'm trying to think of like the advice I would tell myself when <laughs> I was, uh, before I had anything produced. And definitely keep writing, keep working at the craft. Um, and, keep, you know, networking with people that uh, you want to, that you feel like you want to work with. Um, Cause that's kind of, that's how Scratch came about. I, I met Belle and she was like, let's make something. And I was like, yes, let, let's, and let's, let's, let's actually do it. You know? So, um, so, and she, you know, networked with other people and she, and, and when I say network, I mean like from a genuine place, not from, not from like a sleazy, slimy place, <laughs> but like a genuine, I like your work. I, I like your talent and, and let's work together. So that's what I mean by networking. Um, and I think uh, don't be discouraged by setbacks because um, I, you know, in the past had several shorts that, that uh, I wanted to make and really tried hard to make, but for one reason or another, um, just, you know, fell apart. And I'm so glad I didn't give up um, because, or else scratch wouldn't have happened. Um, yeah, I think just keep, keep writing and keep bettering the craft. I think somebody, I read somewhere, somebody said, like, make it impossible for them for other people to say no to your work, which is, which is like advice that I, I've always took to heart. Every time I write something, I'm like, okay, you know, the next one I can always do better. I can always be better. And, and that's, that's the best part of being a creative artist, whether you're a musician, a writer, an actor, is that the daily struggle of becoming better and better and not getting influenced by the negative feedbacks and or the the uh, rejections, especially in the field of uh, oh, yeah. cinema. Yeah, you're so right about rejection. There is a lot of rejection. <laughs> um, like I said, like some of the short projects um, I've had before, like, you know, got so close and then they fell apart. And, you know, it's it's just like, a, it's a hard feeling because you really wanted to work on it and there you spent a lot of time on it, but unfortunately it didn't work out. Um, and, you know, I, before, uh, before I got started in TV, I was submitting for fellowships and submitting for um, mentorships and got rejected from a lot of those. And like, there will be so much rejection in my future. <laughs> it's just the nature of the thing. Um, and um, I guess you just have to have a thick skin about it and, and know that not, that the stuff that you put out will not be to everybody's taste to be humble enough to accept criticism, like constructive criticism, but also know that the thing that you're making is not going to be to everybody's taste. There will always be somebody who thinks of your work negatively and that's okay, you know? Um, but to really just, I guess, 
for me is like really listen to myself and be honest with myself if I think something is solid or not. Um, that's kind of what I try to do. Right. Thank you for that. And also jumping back to your origin story, uh, mm-hmm. coming over into LA and pursuing your your path as a as a writer, uh, what is it that drives uh, your uh, your dream? What is it that pushes mm. you forward each day to become this writer? Uh, most people give up and say, yeah, you know, I tried writing, and uh, let me not. Let me now go into the nine to five field and they give up. So what, what pushes your drive? Um, hmm. I don't think I've ever wanted to do anything but uh, be a screenwriter. Um, I, I came here, I did not have like a, like a fallback plan of, of, um, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to go, you know, be another, another thing. I, I, this is the only thing I've ever wanted to do career-wise was to write. Um, and I think what drives it is this, when I was young, all I've had were, like, I've just loved writing recreationally. Um, and like, that's, just my thing, I guess. I, I don't know. I don't know why some people want to act or some people want to write or some people just want to sing. This is like the only thing they want to do. So, um, so yeah. And so I think um, that just, you know, no backup plan, just wanting to do this. And, um, and it was based on a lot of the advice that people told me when I was first starting out people were like, it's a marathon, not a sprint. So in the first couple of years out in LA, you're not, there's always exceptions, but chances are you're not going to really get anywhere. You're going to be doing assistant work, um, which, which is good, but like you, you're not going to, you know, just write your first movie and sell it. There's always exceptions to that, but a lot of people were telling me that. And, uh, you know, and I was like, okay, that's, that's what it takes. It's going to take a lot of years of not having, you know, not seeing your name up in the lights and not, not suddenly just stepping on set on the first thing that you've written. And knowing the, real, the reality of that, I think, helped me um, stay in the industry uh, just in the beginning part where things were very hard and nothing, people weren't reading me and I had to, like, you know... Um, really hustle to try to find an agent and try to, you know, try to find people, people I wanted to work with. Uh, that's kind of that honest feedback from people who have already been there that it's going to take a long time kind of, you know, drove me and made me think I'm okay. I'm okay. It's, it's not ready to, you know, I'm not ready to throw in the towel yet. <laughs> yeah, and, and never, never that, that should, that phrase should never come into into oh. the mind. <laughs> yeah, you know, I have um, you know, friends who are writers, and um, a, a great writer friend of mine. She told me that she um, that she had been an assistant for nine years before she started writing. You know, she got staffed on a TV show, 
And she's amazing. And I'm so glad she didn't just say, you know, I'm not going to do this anymore because I don't want to be an assistant anymore. I'm so glad she hung in there. And I, I have so many other friends who started out not doing the thing that they, you know, ultimately wanted to do, but they hung in there. So seeing that happen around me also was very inspiring. That's great. That's great. And I, touching up on my previous questions on what drives you, mm-hmm. it, it also ties in because in varying cultures and mm-hmm. beliefs, uh, parents are often uh, suppressing the dreams of of kids when they are growing up they want to become writers they want to become actors and parents mm-hmm. uh are still in the old school and would use that term and there is no money in that field you know go be a lawyer go be a doctor and now times <laughs> yeah. is changing and now you know you could just go on youtube you have your cell phone as as a recording device so the opportunities are open for the creative field Oh, uh, yeah, I think, um, I think, yeah, you're totally right about YouTube, like these more the the digital um, platforms are giving so many people a voice and just having different forms of, of entertainment. You know, before it was, we didn't, so like there's a lot of things on YouTube that I I wouldn't have watched before that you know just like very entertaining digital shows that um very and very popular like millions of hits you know that it, there just wasn't that genre of stuff before um but to like what you were saying about um about parents yeah definitely like yeah I I come from a Chinese American family and um, like my parents initially definitely was like, you want to be a TV screenwriter? That's, that's crazy. That's people don't really understand it. And also like, you know, they spent, they took such a huge risk coming to America and to, you know, make a better life and, and to have, you know, their child choose something that is very, very risky, that doesn't, um, that isn't guaranteed, like stability is not guaranteed. They, um, I think, you know, they, it makes sense that they initially were like, are you sure you want to do that? But my parents are actually, I think they've been overall pretty supportive. They, I'm so glad that the main, for me, like the main opposition is just the the regular stuff that 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 emerging artists have to go through um but it wasn't i didn't have to deal with all that stuff and deal with my parents criticism i'm very grateful for that that they really understood that like i really wanted to do this and i really wanted to give it a solid few years um you know struggling being an emerging artist um before before I guess before saying any of like, hey, maybe you should give up stuff. So I'm so right. glad that they didn't do that. Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's that's great that you had the great support system. That that really uh, inspires you to just keep on moving forward. Yeah, I think. Uh, I mean, I, it's just like everybody 
has so many challenges out uh, when they come to LA to, you know, pursue their dreams. But um, I'm just so grateful that my parents (laughs) were not one of them to, to always be like, no, stop. But even though, like, don't get me wrong. They they have they <laughs> have definitely like you know asked me if I wanted to do be a doctor or be a be a lawyer, things that were more stable. But it wasn't. It was never. It was never like a crazy, you know, conversation where it's, where they're like we're going to cut you off or anything. It's <laughs> funny. Yeah. Um. So. Uh, you mentioned that uh, the, the horror is uh, is a big uh, attraction for you. Do uh, in the upcoming years, two thousand eighteen and, and and beyond, will we be seeing more screens, uh, more scripts in this field, or you would venture into something different? Ah, um, I um, I'm currently on a TV show that I can't talk about yet but it's a it's actually sci-fi um which is going to be i'm very excited for it i love what um we've come up with so far and it's been so like the working experience has been amazing um so fingers crossed fingers crossed that i can talk about it (laughs) in the future um and i'm currently writing some stuff on my own one of which is a horror feature so i really want i really want that to go somewhere i'm currently still you know on still going through drafts and and uh working with my manager on that um but yeah that one that the feature i wrote is definitely like a horror and um i'm very excited and fingers crossed what happens with that and some other projects that are still like in the early phases that are genre, so but with with horror elements to it. Awesome, great, and uh, being that uh, the internet is a great resource for upcoming, uh, well, I'm not using the word upcoming, uh, for filmmakers and writers. Do you foresee any of your projects going on to crowdfunding and getting? help support from the horror community um i'm sorry could you ask that again do i foresee using crowdfunding sources for any of your upcoming projects i you know i have never i i'm not too sure i still haven't tapped into crowdfunding yet unfortunately because um i see like a friend of mine used it very effectively um for her comedy drama pilot like an independent one that she made and she raised i think over 10k with crowdfunding um i'm i like i actually i wish i knew how to effectively use crowdfunding <laughs> but so far i haven't been able to tap into it and like how you know how to make the most effective crowdfunding campaign, um, how to go about that. Uh, so yeah, unfortunately, I, I don't have too much there. <laughs> Except well, that I, I guess it works. I mean, I was so happy to see my friend um, 
do her crowdfunding campaign for her project, which she has been working for years on, and she, like she's so passionate about it. Um, and to see that happen, to see her raise like over 10k, is is very inspiring. Uh, she's one of the lucky ones because I've seen projects that go on crowdfunding. And they don't meet the goal, and, uh, much more less uh, ten thousand dollars. That's that's yeah. amazing. So that's she's she's one of the lucky ones. Yeah, I, I guess I mean I'm trying to think what she did. She did she did one of those Facebook Live things. So it was like she 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 and her friends um, who uh, they got onto Facebook Live, and they basically did you know like a crowdfunding drive just live you know uh, she's a comedian so they she, she was kind of like a comedy show for a couple hours or I've, i don't remember really how long she went for but that i think was really helpful oh, that's so it was yeah, pretty yeah. much she was on facebook live it, it was like a online telethon <laughs> yeah 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 that's the word yeah telethon she definitely held it like a telethon and she was you know she had her friends she had the, uh, you know, her director and other and other people who were attached on the pilot, and then she had her uh, like comedian friends. They were coming in and out, and it was like a telethon. So that worked for her. Mm, good tactic. Good tactic. I'm, I'm writing that yeah. down. That's a good tactic. <laughs> and this is yeah, the... maybe I'll use that. <laughs> uh, exactly right. <laughs> <coughs> But well, this is the the challenging part of the interview, in which I asked the interviewee to come up with a question for the audience to answer. The question could be anything that jumps into your mind, and mm. feel free. I think uh, okay. So somebody. Okay. So. There were people who who say like the best stories, the best horror comes out of what you most personally fear to talk about, to write about. So what is the thing that you most fear that you don't want to write about, that you don't want to create? Because that's usually where the best material comes out of. Wow, that's really delving into the dark core of a, of a psyche. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Somebody who is, I, I don't remember. If I read it on Twitter because I'm always on Twitter, or or if it was like you know a uh, a writer or an artist saying that in a podcast or or an interview. But that always stuck with me because I'm like, yeah, uh, that's interesting. Gotta go to those places. That's interesting. I like that one. And uh, now we jump on to social social media. Where can audiences find you and follow you across social media? Uh, <laughs> um, you can follow me on Twitter at Helen Shang. And that is the only thing that I, um, I think I regularly update. Right. Yep. That, that 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 was <laughs> just one. Okay, that's that's cool. Yeah, just one. Right. Oh, well, with the with the popularity of Facebook and Instagram, uh, I was surprised you didn't add those as well. 
Oh yeah, my Facebook is like my like uh, my private with with friends circle and okay, so I have an Instagram that is uh that is like it's just me posting old photos, like vintage photos that I found and vintage photos that I like bought from various places. But I haven't updated it in a while. But if you want to check it out, it's Helen Ephemera. Okay, cool. Yeah, uh, but I haven't updated it. Ah, uh, uh, so that makes no wonder I, I I've come across the pictures and okay, now it makes sense. Uh, it was probably from uh, your collection. <laughs> oh really? Oh yeah, yes. So yeah, that's like that's I was like I because I, I I never really got into Instagram and so but I also wanted to get an account so I'm like what can I post oh I love old photos let me just post those but now occasionally I want to post something from my life and I'm like no I can't I can't ruin it this is <laughs> that's the account so yeah but I, all my ramblings are on Twitter <laughs> well you could always open another account but it just I, there is a, is a large community of, of people with uh, that share uh also a uh, a fondness for vintage pictures so i'm sure you'll get a, a large following soon i hope so if i <laughs> if i update <laughs> but it but it definitely yeah i love like i love vintage things and especially vintage photos um because they they you can tell a story with them you can if you you know if you see a photo that they're just it's like very evocative some photos just really pop and stand out to me because i think what is that person thinking that there's there's like a story there and so um so i love those photos and i love especially kind of like the off-kilter creepy ones the ones where you know two people are standing there smiling and you see a third person kind of lurking in the background <laughs> i love stuff like that right uh so now we know where where the uh the influence from scratch arises from the from vintage photos. Uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I, you know, it could have been subconsciously influenced right. by one of them because I, I definitely, there was, there was a, a photo that, I that I have that's like, I think it's a wedding photo, and in the background there's a shadow of somebody uh -huh. who's just like a silhouette. Yeah, which I thought was very was very cool. See, the, the mind works in mysterious ways, and, and here you are, uh, a word winning short, uh, <laughs> just from, the, from one photo. <laughs> yeah, I, it could have, it, that idea could have actually come from that. I don't know which one came first, but, uh, um, but yeah, it's all, it's all tied in. <laughs> Great. Um, thank you so much for this, uh, for this interview, for your time especially now in the holiday thank you, season. Ed. Thank you. Yes, and thank you so much. Um, it was so nice to talk with you, and like, uh, I hope you have a wonderful holiday too. Video games, bot-like. A robot's rampage steam early access. Bot-like. A Robot's Rampage is currently on early access on Steam. In this game, it is classified as a loot and shoot, and you work your way through hordes of robots or die trying. 
In the game Spotlight, A Robot's Revenge, you portray the role of Sir, S-I-R, a grumpy old warbot on his path to revenge. In this platformer, it is an action-packed and in rogue-like manner. This is according to the press release. Through randomly generated and graphically impressive worlds, the player struggles to the heart of the totalitarian robot league to deny there the grand finale. On the way, he finds many weapons and components for his bot, which is freely designable at any time. So every new beginning becomes a unique gaming experience. Botlight, a robot's revenge is scheduled for full Steam PC release in 2018. Here is a quote from Bjorn Klassen, lead developer for Botlight, a robot's revenge. Quote, Botlight is in early access since September and with regular patches, a lot of content has been added with the new champion system now in place we are currently working on the next big patch it would include the long-awaited second level which will be set on a mech graveyard it it's the big step on our roadmap through early access and it would add several more hours of playtime with new places to explore new encounters to master and new secrets to be found new tracks will be added to the already great soundtrack for more atmosphere and new mechanics will challenge your skill as you fight yourself through horde of new enemies unquote now the game is currently at 20 percent for Steam Winter Sale, and this is running from December 21st to January 4th, 2018. Hanako, Honor and Blade. Hanako, Honor and Blade is a samurai ninja multiplayer game currently in early access on Steam. In this game, the gamer travels through a beautiful fictional rendition of the 16th century feudal Japan. Gamers would choose between four types of warriors and you learn to master intuitive, directionally driven swordplay while also choosing unique abilities to ensure victory of your foe the the characters in the game are the kenshi a swordsman the naginachi a pikesman ninja the assassin or it the archer all featuring their unique style of combat movement and weaponry in the game you the gamers master con combat through discovery of different attacks abilities and combos the combat system features 
multiple offensive stances driven by your movement and defensive techniques such as the grappling hook and abilities ranging from acrobatic combos to multi-enemy sweeps to multi-hit combos. Here is a quote from Matthew Kanei, lead developer for Hanako Honor and Brave. He states the following quote our primary objective with hanako honor and blade is to create a deep artistic multiplayer world that allows players to experience our own fictional feudal japan and what it is like to be a samurai or ninja we poured our personal tragedies losses and souls into this title to create a symbolic journey of life and death sickness and disease and love and war we created a melee centric game that is easy to learn but difficult to master that brings in a familiar but faster paced directional attacks and abilities players will campaign across multiple maps and game modes experiencing the strikingly different territories of two clans and their war of steel and fire. Ultimately, they represent a war of the lost loved one with a terrible illness. We hope the player may discover inspiration from this or at least learn a bit about the way of the samurai." Unquote. Of course, gamers can find Hanako Honor and Blade in Steam's winter sale that is running December 21st, 2017 to the 4th of January, 2018. The rollout for this sale uh, includes a 50% off for this game. And here are some key features. You have epic online battles, directionally driven combat, distinct war warrior classes, and symbolic online campaigns so do give this a try if you have steam for pc for pc gamers check out hanako honor and blade trailer first impression desolation do you know who that is that's Jay Cutter. He's an actor. What are you doing for lunch, Katie? He asked me to go to Los Angeles. Just be careful. How long will you be staying? As long as I can keep her. <laughs> Every old building in LA has a story. There are a few high-profile suicides in the 60s. Murders in the 70s. Never really recovered. Love me. The trailer I'm about to review is for the film Desolation and if you jump on INDB.com there are two different films for Desolation. The one I am referring to is directed by David Moscow and is written by Craig Wallinsiak and Matthew McCarthy. There is no plot listed on INDB so therefore the trailers providing the sum of what the film is about and 
watching the film, watching the trailer, correction, uh, my my first impressions are I I am interested in watching this film clearly because of the psychological thriller aspect behind the film. The the camera work looks good and the acting is they do not convey any type of B movie like quality, which is great. Uh, I've truly despise it when the acting is terrible yet the concept is good. So in this trailer, the hints offered you can see that the acting is pretty is, is good, spot on. Anyway, it is hard to assess what this film is about because there is certain elements that is going on. Are we seeing a psychological breakdown of a female over what a her boyfriend slash movie actor commits suicide? That's the impression I'm getting because that is the hint that was offered in the trailer. Or, or is the female character in this film suffering delusions inside her mind is she already is she the one who committed suicide and she's trapped inside her mind mm, interesting nevertheless i'm interested in watching this film it's going to release in 2018 and according to indb it'll be the 26th of january 2018 this is a thriller and as I had mentioned, there's no plot on INDB. So basically you're relying on the trailer to get any type of sense of where this, what the movie's about. You can't rely on trailers 100%. They're just an advertising gimmick uh, ploy to attract viewership. The whole basis of a first impression segment for this podcast is to assess, to break down the quality of the acting of the cinematography and to get a basis of what the film is about it is not to lure or have any type of influence if we're going to see it or not what i'm looking at is the cinematography great that that works for me for this film desolation the acting as i had mentioned is spot on it looks good it looks good compared to the trailer the overall theme i have no idea what the fuck is going on here so i will watch the film just out of curiosity's sake the trailer did not convey anything to me in sense of what this film is about so with that said i'll wait to the 26th of january 2018 but stay tuned for dk mag for a full frame review for desolation Winchester, the house that ghosts built. We were fascinated by the woman Sarah Winchester, so we we came here, we came to the house, and we sort of got a tour and, and we sort of fell in love with the story, and that's really where it started for us. And we essentially went back and rewrote the script um, and sort of molded it around our experience at this house and included the things we really liked about the house, which is some of the incredible rooms here, but also we were fascinated by the legacy of Sarah Winchester, her story, the notion that you know, she was haunted by all the, the souls that were killed at the hand of the Winchester rifle is a fascinating blueprint for a, a story. 
And then as we researched and learned more about Sarah Winchester, you know, we learned that she was an inventor, she was a, a builder, um, and, and she was just a fascinating, progressive woman. Back in August 2016, DK Mag first reported on the supernatural thriller centered on the Winchester Mansion. And not only that, the film centers on Sarah Winchester. For those in the audience who are unaware of the Winchester Mansion, this is as spooky as it gets. There is, is a sprawling mansion, 160 rooms, countless bathrooms, fireplaces, and three basements. I think it also has three elevators, but the rooms in this mansion are, are weird and defy any type of modern architecture. Because if you, you enter one room and one room would be sealed off and the next room next to that would lead you fall into your death because it opens a door to the outside so everything is rearranged in a way that just it's mind-boggling and sarah winchester dedicated her life after her husband's passing to create this mansion so that way spirits for those who were killed by the winchester gun rifle would not come back to haunt her. So they would enter this home and be confused with these intricate rooms and the patterns and the layout. The construction for this mansion ceased once Sarah Winchester passed away. Now, Sarah Winchester was heavy into the occult. She would have seances, conduct seances in her home. She had one room dedicated just for seances. And in fact, the Winchester Mansion was on two separate occasions featured in the reality show Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel. So if you want some insight, go check up on those episodes. The Winchester Mansion featured on Ghost Adventures. So here we have a behind the scenes look, a tour rather. This video is a tour of the Winchester Mansion. It runs eight minutes long and it is narrated by the director and co-writer Michael Spierig. Michael Spierig is joined in the directorial seat by Peter Spierig and they both are co-writers on this film alongside Tom Vaughn. The synopsis for Winchester is as follows. Eccentric firearm Harris believes she is haunted by the souls of people killed by the Winchester repeating rifle. The film stars Helen Mirren in the lead role as Sarah Winchester, Sarah Snook, Jason Clark, Agnes Sampson, and Eamon Farron. There, so far there is, oh, excuse me, 
before I was going to jump the gun on this one. IMDB states that February 2nd, 2018 is the release date for Winchester. The house that ghosts built. I, I am intrigued by this film. It is a PG-13 uh, supernatural thriller. Needless to say, I'm interested because in this video provided, the director, Michael Spirit, goes into detail on how the script got rearranged just to go with historical accounts on what happened in this home and surrounding Sarah Winchester. That's great. I'm intrigued with how these filmmakers are going to put the supernatural elements with historical fact and provide an entertaining escape for horror connoisseurs. We have seen a great marriage between horror and well, supernatural horror and historical fact with films such as The Conjuring. And these films are interesting because you have the audience member has to think, okay, yeah, these this situation did occur and or historical fact it is written down yes sarah winchester did deal with the occult and she did build this house to confuse spirits affected by this firearm interesting i'm intrigued by this plot have been since we first reported it here on dk mag back in 2016. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in to DK Mag Podcast Season 6, Episode 10. It is the holiday season, Christmas Eve. Christmas is right upon us. And as this podcast release, it would be either Christmas Eve or Christmas. And yeah, while the panel and arroz con gandules is prepping in the kitchen i am in the studio preparing this podcast for you the listener that is how i dedicate my time yes i'm working up an appetite we don't have the dried turkey and we not, we don't also have the oversaturated salty uh, ham in any event thank you for tuning in in 2018, we'll be presenting DK Mag Sessions, which is a standalone podcast featuring one-on-one -on -one interviews with filmmakers, musicians, writers in the field of horror cinema. These will be standalone interviews apart from DK Mag Podcast, which is currently ending season six we're going into season seven pretty soon and so it is our 
dedication, our expansion into covering and providing more content in the field of horror cinema. We are expanding. DK Mag is ever growing and we are venturing in different realms. If you haven't uh, already seen on our website, we would also be providing a radio cast titled Bondage and Circuitry Radio. In there, we will be presenting tracks from industrial, EBM, goth, witch house, and I will be also securing some interviews with musicians in the field, both indie and, well, this is not a mainstream music genre, so it will be indie and higher indie, as well as film composers dedicated that also infuse these music genres in horror films and there are quite a few it, it it's surprising but there are quite a few last week i had an interview with charlie clauser former member for nine inch nails and he also provides the soundtrack for the film jigsaw and the saw franchise Trent Reznor, also from Nine Inch Nails, also branched out from his composition in industrial music on a more mainstream level into film composition, such as Resident Evil. And so this is our continued growth into horror cinema music, and I am putting it out there. DK Mag is going to establish itself as a predominant source in entertainment journalism. With that said, thank you for tuning in. You can follow DK Mag on social networking platforms Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Pinterest, MeWe. We are everywhere. You could also find this podcast on google music itunes spotify stitcher and tune in thank you please share our podcast and happy holidays to everyone to all our listeners my name is ken artuz founder for dk mag